Boxcaster online. Authorization accepted. Upload confirmed. Begin transmission. I was there, he would say afterwards, until afterwards became a type quite devoid of laughter. I was there, the day Horace slew the Emperor. It was a delicious conceit, and his comrades would chuckle at the sheer treason of it. The story was a good one. Torgaden would usually be the one to cajole him into telling it, for Torgaden was the Joker, a man of mighty laughter and idiot tricks, and Logan would tell it again, a tale rehearsed through so many retellings it almost told itself. And that was the first two paragraphs of Horus Rising, the first book in the Horus Heresy series, and the first book we will be covering here on After Ulanor, the Garage Hammer Horus Heresy Book Club. I'm one of your hosts, David Whitek. And I'm uh, the other one, Greg Dan. <laughs> the other one, Greg Dan. Hey, folks. Ah, wow. Uh, man, I am excited. I am really excited for this uh for this episode greg how about yourself yeah definitely it's been um been a kind of long time in planning yeah no kidding and, uh, and we're here and the funny thing is for all the time we've been planning it i was still racing today to finish up my notes yes <laughs> i've added a few bits on today as well so um i guess before we get started greg um Greg, you've been really pounding the pavement for the show, getting the word out there onto different forums and stuff, and uh, you've even spoken to uh, Odd Games. Why don't you uh, Why don't you tell tell the listeners what's going on? Absolutely, yeah. We're we're very pleased to announce that we've got Odd Games as a sponsor for the show. Um, for those who don't know, Odd Games are a UK based um, games uh, distributor, as it were, uh, an online shop. They um, sell all the GW products you can normally get online, all the plastics, with up to 15% off all of those. But they also do board games, card games. They're um, one of the cheapest prices for Magic the Gathering you can get uh, in the UK. Um, and the real reason I went for those is um, I've, I've met Ol, who runs the, the website, who, who is the, the face behind it. And his customer service is brilliant. If they haven't got something, they'll email you and say, look, you know, if it's going to take longer than it should do, they'll email you and tell you. Some of the bigger companies don't do. That's a real bugbear of mine. Um, and I wouldn't have a company that didn't have a good customer service, wouldn't, wouldn't even kind of consider them as a sponsor on the show. So Ogs signed up for, for a bit. Hopefully we're going to get some, um, a proper advert for him. Yeah, in time for the next we'll get one. working on that in time for the next one. And thank you, uh, Odd Games, for for uh, deciding to sponsor us after the uh, just after the after that first uh, preview episode. Because yeah. uh, I mean that's just fantastic. And I mean I know that they sponsor on like Bad Dice and other really big Warhammer podcasts. So I'm I'm yeah. I'm kind of honored that they decided that we were we were worth giving a shot to. So this is yeah. I was very keen to kind of you know support uh, the, the process. Which is all good. So if you uh, if you're living this side of the pond and you want some Warhammer or non Warhammer toys, um, he's got all the latest hot stuff that comes out, goes through the shop, 
um, magnets and hobby stuff as well. So you can go and grab that. Go and visit oddgames.co.uk and um, find all your your reduced price goodness. (laughs) All right. So um, before we get into the book, um, we did get a bunch of listener feedback from episode zero. and it's been it's been pretty positive. I've been really pleased. Thank you to everyone who has emailed or written in to us about this. Um, now I know Greg, we had a couple of couple of people asked a couple of questions, and I know you had some stuff written up for answers. Well, um, yeah, or, or not or not <laughs> or answering, not. as it were. Um, now I know some people asked us to cover individual legions, and I actually thought that wouldn't be a bad idea after he hit about book three or maybe book five. But as you pointed out. Um, that could be problematic for uh, spoiler reasons. Yes, um, although I'm sure there are people listening to this that have read the books and are probably up to date, you know, with the current book release schedule. Um, I I know there are people who will listen to this who are reading the books out of schedule, maybe, or or even you know, I reading the books with us for the first time, so. I really feel and think that we shouldn't be going any further than the book we're on. Because the last thing I want to do is say, oh, by the way, you know, Loken turns out to be an orc. Um, <laughs> that's not a spoiler, by the way. Yeah, um, and and have someone kind of their kind of journey ruined by revealing that too early. Yeah, we're going to so, try not to do that uh, in general with all the books. I, you know, we can't 100% yeah. guarantee. Although if we catch it in, post, uh, in post-production or anything like that, we'll try to keep it out. Yes, we want to kind of reduce as much as possible. And unfortunately, talking about the legions um, before their story arc is really grown, even going well on into the story, where a legion stands in relation to the conflict is still very... For some of them, it's the whole. That's their whole story. Is where do they stand? So, to stay for me, for us to kind of say, oh yeah, by the way, these guys are this and they're doing this and they do that. Um, we might be kind of reducing that very arc. Yeah, good, yeah. So, I just feel that it's something that we we could look at further down the line, and there might be a time when. We think actually we've got enough information here to do, a, a, and, and people are asking enough questions that we can do a little episode about X, Y, and Z. Exactly, we could do a couple of legions, but that's definitely something we'll have to look at down the line. Okay, and um, we also were asked why. Uh, <laughs> I guess some people wanted us to go back even farther than yes. <laughs> than the unification wars. Um, I, I know the reason I didn't go back further than Unification Wars is because I don't know farther back than the Unification Wars. Um, what were you thinking, Greg? Well, we touched on it when when I said about the old um, the old fluff had the Emperor as being a historical figure, even through our times. We 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 touched on that. Unfortunately, it links in with something else I wanted to talk about, which is what is canon, um, and by canon we mean the official fluff. Right. That's currently going out. Um, and these these books that are being written at the moment are canon. These are what happened according to whose viewpoint you're looking at it from. Um, a lot of the older stuff which deals with the pre-unification is so old that it 
can't really be considered canon because other stuff's come out that could contradict it and the whole universe has actually changed quite a bit in this the universe has been shaped over the last you know 25 years right and it's taken on different forms um and I, you, you can go online and if you google um you know if you google foo strong you can find out kind of a couple of theories about where the emperor came from and what he did but according to the new actual canon this may or may not be true so rather than muddy the water think we're just going to keep it to what we know to be canon which is you know right pretty much what's going on in these books at the moment right speaking of what's going on in these books at the moment um we, we have gotten a lot of tweets and emails from people who are saying um a couple people who said you know I, I never picked up the black library or i never went with the horus heresy books but uh you know the before olinor episode uh, piqued my interest. So we do have a lot of people who are reading this for the first time. And so we are, like you said, going to try to keep to just each book. But uh, if you haven't read Horus Rising yet, we're going to talk about everything. Okay, If you've ever listened to the regular show Garage Hammer and heard one of uh, our our book reviews for the Army books or for Tamarcon or that, we, we get into a lot of detail. So if you haven't read it yet and you don't want a spoiler, shut off now. Shut yes, it off now do. and go read and come back later. The show will still be here. You can come listen at another time. But uh, if you don't want to hear about Horus Rising before you read it, this is this is not. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna talk about everything. So yeah, this this is not this is not a podcast to get you to buy the book. This is a <laughs> podcast for once you've read the book, or if you you know even if you don't want to read the book, you just want to know some more. Maybe right. Maybe you can join in in that way. But yeah, certainly if you don't want to know what's going to happen, then pauses for however long it takes you to read the books yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and catch up and that's why and we're going to keep that with the um with the topics on the forum as well yes so um i felt a bit bad on the on the last episode's forum topic someone posted questions and talking about the books further down the line and i kind of had i stepped in and said just be a bit careful because again we don't want to get we don't want to be giving away people's enjoyment you know of finding out stuff by no, them accidentally reading something on a thread so it's a it's a fine balance sometimes but if it's we can not just like try if you to, accidentally throw one up there we're going to toss you off the forums or anything by the way it is the garage hammer forums garagehammer.net slash forum uh you can come in and join uh you do need to introduce yourself if that's the if you don't post in the introductions it won't let you post anywhere else but after Olinor's got its own page, it'll have its own threads. And at the top of every thread, the first post, I'm going to post, you know, please keep it to this book or previous books. Try try not to go ahead. Uh, it'll be a little bit hard with these first couple of books because this is a trilogy and there's so many things tied yeah. together. Um, and like I said, we're not you know, we're not trying to be the 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 you know the the comment and the post police, but we're just saying for uh, for people who haven't read. Try not to jump and ahead too much on them. Just, just think if you were reading, you know, a, an epic series of books that you hadn't read before, would you want to know that X, Y, and Z happens in those books, three books before they happen? I love that book, especially at the end when you find that the, there was a twin brother. What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> so you know, just, just, just be a little the bit mindful when you when we're when we're talking about it. That's um, we want to try and avoid ruining someone's day. Yeah. <laughs> 
what else? We had a couple of last bits of uh, stuff. Our release schedule, we've been saying four to six weeks, folks, and we are going to keep it to four to six weeks as of right now, although I know Greg and I are working very hard to find a monthly release schedule, like finding a date yeah. to release outside of the 10th and 25th when we reach when we re- release the regular uh, Garage Hammer shows. So um, we're hoping to keep this on a, a regular schedule, um, but it's going to take us a little time to find that date uh, to work, especially since Greg and I have very different schedules and we have a <laughs> six-hour time difference. Yes. So Greg is graciously, it is just after midnight in, yeah, in merry old England today. So, And I had to rush home and feed the kids real fast so I can get down here early. So here's yeah, where we are. Con- in conjunction with that, hopefully this is going to be the kind of format the show's going to move on, although I can I can foresee it, you know, kind of streamlining. We're going to have the introduction. We're going to talk about the feedback that's come through um, and then any anything we, we feel needs to be talked about and then move on in the second part to the actual review itself. So there's going to be this time at the start of each episode to go over things. Hopefully we're going to start getting some real comments back and we can go over about the so in the next episode, we could go on about people's feedback about Horace Rising. Right. Um, um, I want to do a couple of uh, – just one or two more quick things. We've actually – I believe it was Kenny Lull um, already threw like a donation in for the show. Like was like wanted to throw in something to help keep the show running. Uh, we've gotten, like I said, some very positive feedback. And I suppose I ought to put a thank you out there to Cranky Lawyer. Greg, I got home today. And I had a package from Cranky Lawyer, and I mean, I've often opened it and found bizarre things, <laughs> you know, his Jesus Hates Chaos Dwarf shirts, or, um, you know, I know he's, he bought Christopher once a pair of pink boxing gloves, um, okay. and spam, yep. spam cookbooks, English to uh, American to England uh, dictionary. But today I got home and opened up these very large, the, like, trade paperback versions of Betrayer and Angel Exterminatus. Oh, brilliant. So these, I believe, are books 23 and 24 in the series. That's correct, I think, yes. And I'm actually on 17 at the moment, but this is, I've, I actually, I think I've only purchased up to 18, so this helps me out plenty. Um, brilliant. So I'm, I'm all excited. I'm looking at the covers going, ooh, exciting. So thank <laughs> you to Cranky Lawyer. No, really, yeah. And um, I think that's it. Why don't we... Uh, why don't we start with first impressions of yep. the book before we start getting into the meat and potatoes? So sure. overall, as a book, Greg, uh, what are you thinking? Well, I suppose what we or I should say is I read this book when it came out. I bought it the day of release five and a half years ago, whenever it was. Um, read it then and then actually listened to the audio when a couple of months after we first started talking about doing this okay. and then read it again last month um, to, to actually make notes on it and, and to go through it. Um, and I must admit, even when listening to the audio, which is bridged, unfortunately, I only then remembered how good a book it was. Yeah. Now, I only started reading these about a year ago and um, actually my Horace Rising book is beat to hell. It's been read by several people. I'm going to have to get a new copy because uh, the cover is ready to fall off. Um, and I, like I said, I was just sort of devouring them and moving through them a little bit quickly. And 
I mean, I liked it, and it was all this stuff, but I was actually coming at it from a point of view of having really not, I mean, I know you were excited for it, and you had some 40K knowledge. I mean, yes. you kind of knew what was going on. I was coming at it from everybody keeps saying I should read this. You know, you like Black Library, you have to read the Horus Heresy. Yeah. Um, the, the extent of my 40K knowledge was sort of paging through the fluff in the front of the blue rule book. Yes, okay, yeah. So I'm reading this, and I didn't know characters. I didn't know who people were, um, you know. I, so I was confused as heck in the beginning, first of all, <laughs> and and then as I'm going through, I'm, I, I went back, you know, last week and said, okay, I got to sit down and read this, and um, wow, I mean, Dan Abnett did a heck of a job with this book to start. You know, they had to start it off. It had to start off strong. It had so much to introduce, so many characters these plot lines um, and you had to do it in a way that didn't give away too much. Um, yeah. It was, it's a, a kind of balancing act. They also, when they started the series, um, they kind of planned the trilogy, the first three and a little bit more, but never really had an overall concept of how far they were going to go um, as well. So I think that kind of, actually kind of feeds in a little bit as we go down the line but they were you know it was put out there as kind of let's see what happens with these books <laughs> um and i think sometimes dan abnett's name for some people it means they're going to read it no matter what the subject is and for some people actually they don't want to read it because they've read a different dan abnett book and it doesn't really fit um i've seen questions to dan abnett before about do you have two different writing styles for your regular Black Library stuff and then the Horus Heresy, and his answer has always been no. However, I think there are slightly different ways of writing from his more um, kind of pulp holiday reading kind of thing well, to his to this. What non-Horus stuff has he written? Um, the Gaunt's Ghost series okay. is is the massive series. The Eisenhorn series, Eisenhorn and Ravenna. Okay. Um, both of those have massive followings. Uh, he's done a couple of Warhammer books. Um, See, I some don't really old I, school stuff as well. I don't think I've read any of his non-Horus Heresy Black Library stuff. Now, right. I have read, like, I mean, I remember, I, I mean, I read Resurrection Man, the comic. I know he yeah, writes that. I, I mean, so I knew, I knew his stuff from sort of the comic books and some of his... Well, yeah, that's stuff that he writes. That's where he came from. He started right. in comic books and moved on to writing novels um, through Bat Library. Bat Library said, "Do you want to try writing a novel instead of writing our comics?" And he was like, "Yeah." As far as I know, um, Gaunt's Ghosts is very, um, it's very fun, good, old school Black Library style. In that you can often predict little things that happen and. You know, your average man becomes a superhero at the right moments, um, and there's some crazy stuff that goes on. But it's like a 14 book series, um, but it definitely feels a lot lighter than than Horus Rising does, particularly. Okay. Um, so something that you know some people might be put off by the name Dan Abnett, but I really do think it's it is different from from some of the other stuff he's written. Well, and like I said, I mean, I just went back, and maybe it's the English teacher in me, but I actually had to stop myself and and start to speed up my reading. In fact, we were going to record this last week, and I just told you straight, I'm like, dude, I've, it's taken me, 
you know, way longer than I thought to get through this because I started taking notes and I'm like, I've got pages and pages of stuff that he's doing here just to sort of, you know, dissecting it and, and looking at it. And I'm like, okay, we got to move along in a, in, a, in a slightly different fashion that I can't necessarily approach it this way. But um, this is, I, I just, I mean, this is a really great book. It really is. Um, I think, and later I'll bring it up, I have only one beef with the book. And it's a beef that I have, I think, with a lot of, of Black Library series. All right. Um, but I will bring it up just a little bit later. Sure. That's quite all right. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many characters being laid down here and so many plot lines that I had to actually sort of stop and slow down. And as I was sort of taking notes throughout the book, I had to go back and then sort of compile them because obviously as he jumps back and forth between, you know, areas, these people are over here and these people are over there. So then I, I, had to, I had to readjust my notes to make them a little more suitable for kind of going through as a... Uh, as, as a chat, but... Um, oh, yeah, mine are a complete mess. Yeah. Well, mine are a little bit sorted, so we'll see. Folks, if this seems a little bit... Off, I mean, this is the first time we're ever doing sort of a book club, chatting about what we like about the books and covering stuff. And I know, Greg, off the air we had said, this one's probably going to be a little different from the others because we're really setting up... We're setting up a lot of characters that are going to run throughout a trilogy, so sort of talking about them and, and how they come across to us and stuff like that is going to take a little more time um, and a little more effort than it's going to be up with future books. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> so why don't we start the, with the part one, The Deceived. Which Indeed, is, yeah. The, the book's split into three parts, yep. um, which kind of have their own kind of feel to them, don't they? Yeah. Uh, or I found that anyway. <laughs> I'm telling you. I would agree. Um, so the first part is all about the... Um, we see uh, the space marines of the, <clears throat> excuse me, of the lunar wolves, um, doing what they do during the crusade, which is approaching a planet and offering them the choice, in quotation marks, <laughs> of subject to the emperor of mankind and become part of this great imperium, or face the consequences. Um, and on from that. I really got a feel from this start of this book, from that this very kind of section, that it was all about highlighting the, all the good bits of the Space Marines. Yes, absolutely. It was all about hope. There was this kind of real kind of almost religious kind of zeal in what they were doing. Um, and it was all, you know, Space Marines charging through this planet and nothing can touch them and... Um, you know, Titans appearing and that inspiring the Marines to perform even better. And you know, humans were like babes to them. They couldn't, couldn't even stand in the shadow of these space Marines that were running through to take this world in, in short manner. Right. And it was all like, well, nothing can stop these guys. These guys are phenomenal. Right. Um, it was interesting, though, because, like I said, now, coming from the point of view of someone who didn't know his 40K lore, and had never read any Horace Heresy books. Obviously, the beginning of this is confusing. Yes. You know, Horace killed the emperor. What? Like, Wait a minute. And then I'm reading this going, okay, this doesn't even make sense. Uh, and then they keep describing the planet, and this guy says he's the emperor of mankind, and they've got these, you know, and not knowing all the different names for all the different people. I mean, this first planet that they get to, uh, 6319, which is the, yeah. uh, that's, you know how they delegate the planets. Is they're the sixty third yeah. expedition, sixty third expedition, right? 
Yeah, and the 19th planet. And is the 19th planet being subjugated. And um, they seem to have a lot of technology and a lot of things that really grew up similar to similar to uh to yeah. the space you know terra yeah, so I, I distinctly remember five years ago actually reading the first two or three pages and then rereading them to try and work out what was going on well you were um, laughing at me on the forums when i was posting what the hell is going cause, on because i was laughing at you because i knew exactly where you were coming from um, <laughs> because it is and and that is very much um a as, as you've alluded to, Dan Abnett's style is to throw you into the book and yes. just whack you in there. You'll work it out. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It'll all come good. The other thing it does is it starts off something that's very strong in this book in that um, it shows a possible future. Right. I don't know if you, if you found this throughout the whole book. There's a lot of little bits of foreshadowing which aren't necessarily as obvious as you might think they are. Um, but there's also a lot of um, there's a lot of reflection of the Imperium right. and, and the struggles that are going on later on as well. Um, and Dan Elliott keeps throwing these symbols in there of kind of what could be and what will be and what might be. And so this is, this is the very first page. You've got the potential of Horace killing the Emperor. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, okay. It's part of the story as this, we find out that this human is put himself up as his own emperor and you have an, an Imperium of Man, which is separate from the Imperium with a capital T and an I. Um, but there's a kind of possible flash forward of, you know, oh, in the long run, could this happen? Right. Um, which I, I, I kind of like. I really like that through the whole book actually yeah it, it comes up a lot um yeah i also like i mean he it, it in, a, in a very nice there's he's got a very sort of nice set regimented pattern of you know his chapters introducing different characters and bringing in these little things um the weird not a chapter title but three topics yes like which is which was totally something i had not seen before um which no, i really same. sort of liked um, yeah. Nowadays, I mean, I remember when I was younger reading, and I'd read things like Tolkien and things like that. You'd get a, you know, there would be a, a book with three hundred pages. It might have ten or eleven chapters, you know. And lately, I'm reading books where chapters are two pages, three pages long. You know, it's like you you you, you get in the car, drive somewhere else. It's a new chapter. Yeah. And uh, but these are slightly longer chapters, and they've got these little, you know, these little things they're going to hit, uh, alluding to kind of what's going on. Um, but uh, why don't we why don't we talk a little bit about uh, some of the characters that get introduced here before we run through, or do you want to run through uh, the what happens on sixty three nineteen? Well, should we go for it and kind of work with the characters as they come up? Try that. Okay. I'll see if that works. Right. I don't know. Well, or do you want to go through? Well, right in the beginning, you know, they're 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 fighting a battle, and the, the character you're meeting is is Loken. Loken, yeah. Who's... Who becomes the, the main guy? Yeah, Obviously, you know, who's the protagonist of the of the book, who's um, an up and coming uh, space marine who's who's got all those attributes that you would want in loyalty, and he's he's clever enough, and he's a, he's a capable enough fighter, and he's got the drive, and he's got all those things, and you you warm to him straight away, I think. Well, and they show Cause you. It's, go ahead, Nick Karam. They show you all of it right here in chapter one. Yeah, I mean. Bam. 
It's there. He comes in and he's fighting. He's already he's a captain of the tenth company. Um I believe tenth company, yeah. He comes flying in. You know, the battles are going on. There are some space marines dying around him because actually the, some of these guys have a good enough weaponry that it's actually hurting yeah, space they do, marines. They do at a certain point start to hurt them, but it's... Um, yeah. I mean, they talk about how they sent... Uh, now, they sent in uh, like a, a group to say, hey, listen, we're here. We've come to meet you. Uh, you know, to bring in... Like you said, to bring them back to the Imperium. And um, the reaction of the people on 6319 is to kill them. Yes. Which shocked the Marines just that they were able to kill these guys. Um, there's reports of the Invisibles, which they actually compare to um, the um, the Custodes, don't they? Yeah, that, yeah, it's an, yeah, it's, uh, it's the Emperor's bodyguard who've got all the best gear and who are the most capable soldiers, which is exactly what the, the uh, Custodes do for right and the capital t and so as the emperor as they're charging in uh loken's telling people how he's he's moving towards the main place and then uh first captain abaddon comes back and he's like oh we're getting in there too and he's like i'll beat you to it so you got sort of this you know this gung-ho bravo hero type thing yeah it almost seemed to me during that bit that they weren't even worried about the people they were fighting it was nope. like there was such a secondary thing it was like no we're just going to race because nothing's going to stop us. But then they did get stuck, <laughs> that, which was great. Yeah, exactly. And it, they were just they were just flying through, and it was like, and that was it. It was like nothing can stand in, in the way of these guys. You know, these guys are going to clear the whole galaxy. Um, there was a great part though that kind of showed how Loken was a step above and beyond his his compatriots. There, um, he gets to this part, and everyone's standing around. There's a couple of dead space marines on the on the ground, and he's like, "It must be the invisibles. We can't see them." Every yeah. time we move out, they're getting shot. We've thrown a bunch of grenades back there. Nothing's slowing them down. I, I hope invisibles doesn't also mean, in, you know, invincibles. invincibles. Yeah. And Loken looks, and he throws something. He's like, oh, wait a minute. Boom, throws it. It's a tri- Runs back there. You know, he realizes it's a, it's a, you know, a cannon set up with motion detectors. So he just distracts the thing, runs flying over there. Wait, no, no, no. Boom, rips it all apart. They come over there. You know, some people say that's being reckless, you know, playing the hero. And that's that. That was just so great because it automatically set him up as he figured it out quicker than anybody, and he ran yeah. in and took care of it. Smaller than the average bear. Exactly. Um, it was just it was it was a, a fantastic bit of uh, storytelling, and he gets past the sentry gun, gets in there, and then when he gets to, um, he gets up to where the the emperor's quarters. He beats first captain there. And yeah, he, sees, he beats everyone there. Yeah, he sees the guy and he starts talking to him. And the guy's just like, why couldn't you just leave us alone? And um, Yeah, there was also quite an interesting bit on, on truth. Right. There, because the whole the Space Marines believe they're bringing the Imperial truth to the galaxy. Um, but obviously other people are thinking, well, that, that, you know, my truth is that you're not. You just come and slaughtered our world for no reason. Um and, and as you say, the, the the emperor who's who's there standing in front of these space marines is like, you know, why couldn't you just carried on past us and left us in our little world, kind of happy and not bothering anyone, right? Which is something that kind of starts to become a theme as well. Yeah, the question comes up at least twice more um, yeah. in the next couple of chapters. Um, what was interesting was they come in there and then the other Marines get in there and you realize that guy wasn't the Emperor. That guy was a decoy. Yes. And the Emperor um, 
is sort of, I guess he's he seems to be rather invisible too. And yeah, he's got the same kind of technology going on to keep him safe. And the invisibles, it's kind of like that predator invisibility. They're bending light around them. Yeah. So if you kind of keep an eye, you can see them. And he figures it out right away and starts going after them. Um, but the Emperor lets out some sort of uh, sonic blast, some sort of force blast thing. Blows, And they're on the top of this huge spire with all these big glass windows. It's this really just beautifully described... Um, you know, place where the emperor can see over the whole the whole region. Space Marines are getting blown out the window. One guy gets his back snapped over something. Uh, Loken himself is almost knocked over the edge. He's holding on for dear life. His legs are flinging out behind him. Just to give you a sense of the force that's being used, because I mean, you know, these guys are huge, and that armor must weigh, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. If they, they, they didn't have the power packs, they can't move. Yeah. Their arm is that heavy. Right. And so. You've got these huge guys with this huge armor, and he's just holding on, and his legs are flinging out behind him. And then a god descends, which was so... I mean, I remember the first time I read this, I had to go back and read it again. I was awed. I mean, I really was awed. I got that sense that you get, you know, because they describe several times throughout the series as humans seeing a Primarch and just losing their minds, just, like, unable to think, Not, not going insane, but... Just yeah, having just being empty of kind of anything but what's in front of them. Yeah, I mean it completely shuts down. Um, there's something yeah. later in the book. It actually happens later in the book, and it, it's one of those things where you, you kind of laugh at it. But this golden god comes down and lands and looks around and aims his gun and fires one shot at the throne, the big golden throne. There's another nice little thing there. Yeah, exactly. Fires a shot at the golden throne, and boom, everything stops. And there's the burnt out husk of this emperor, and it's Horus. And um, it, we see, we see here. I mean, Loken's not used to seeing Horus so close. Although he's captain of the tenth company, he's not. He's not that high up that he's gonna be. You know, speaking to Horus and with Horus all the time. Right. So we see it from Loken's kind of slightly detached viewpoint than it becomes because you know it obviously moves it moves further into the circle. But he's there and he's he's just seeing his kind of this guy that this god that he doesn't really understand at all. Yeah, has no no inkling on, and so we can get that kind of majesty and everything that comes from him. Um, and Horus. Kind of it seems to exude Abner. It seems to really write well. His charisma comes across. Oh yeah, in the books, you just a lot of it's through other people's reactions, but it comes across like yeah, this is a guy that can lead. Oh, exactly. And I mean, you're just, you're just mesmerized by him when he shows up. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. Um, I love even when they talk about him. So will I deal with all tyrants and deceivers? Rumbled a deep voice, and he said, "Lupercal." The god smiled. Not so formal, please, Captain. Whispered Horus. I mean, it's just like he doesn't even talk loud. It's just it, you're just. I, yeah. I I love the descriptions because, you know, especially knowing what little I knew about the world, I did know about Horus heresy. I knew that Horus had gone. I knew, you know, Horus had fought the emperor and he had turned into this, you know. You know, he had chaos, gifts of all four chaos gods with him, and he was just like, I mean, he's like the epitome of evil in the, in sort of in yeah. the in the in the 40k, you know, space marine sort of world. Yeah, the name that's whispered to keep your kids under control. And, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, that. and you're reading it, and it's like, wow, he's amazingly likable. 
I mean, then, I mean, I think Dan Abnett did a really good job. I mean, every time they described him, you know what's going to happen to him. And he had to work really hard to make you see why. I mean, it's like, you know, how did nobody see this coming? How, you know, that he, you know, that he, dude, you, how could you? I mean, you, when yeah. you, I mean, all the descriptions of him, he is so, he's, and he's a really nice guy too. Like he laughs and jokes with these people. And, and, he, and, he, and he, he does what needs to be done for them. You know, he speaks harshly when he has to, to for the good of the people he's speaking to. And people come into his presence later, like we were saying, who are dumbfounded and he puts them at ease. You yes. know, and that's just, a, it's just a human. Um, but he's quite prepared to say, no, you know, ha- break the ice with them to show them that he, he isn't just this demigod, but he can converse on their level. And all of that manages to come across, which is quite amazing because we're, we're, we're talking about a demigod who's got his space marines below him who are non-human in, in the manner of the way they think. And yet you can still uh, identify with each of them and, and get a feeling for them. Yeah. Which is, is quite is, is really well done when you think about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see what other. There, go ahead. There was one bit in this that when um, the, the one of the first bits I noted actually was we were talking about. Um, da, 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 da. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, the, actually, the second guy to arrive at the top of the spire was um, uh, Echadon, I think it is, right. on his jetpack. Right. And um, he's. Him and Loken are basically have a little bit of a squabble about, all right, this is the Emperor. Um, Ekadon says, well, we're going to kill him. And Loken says, no, he's my prisoner. And he's going to be given up. Only Horus is going to take him prisoner. Oh, that's and, right, because he says, I'll only surrender to Horus. And Ekadon's yeah, like, and, and Screw Loken, you. And he's like, no, we'll take Loken him. Loken feels that honor within him right. to say, no, fair enough, that's cool. And Ekadon's like, no, we're going to kill him. Uh, and Loken's kind of uh, even says to him, kind of, you know, well, what, you know, what would the emperor do, you know? And Ekadon's reply was along the lines of, "The emperor is not with us." And at that point, it's like, you know, first bit of the book, there's a little bit of a crack there. Right. These are the emperor's greatest troops, and yet one of them has already said, "Well, the emperor's not here." Yeah. And while his back's turned, you know, doesn't need to know about it. Um, but Loken's there, no, no, I've got my my moral convictions, um, and I'm sticking by them. And, now, and I'm not, not prepared to be- bend or break those just because the, the Emperor's gone home to do his whatever he's doing on terror. Exactly. Now, he's, as, as, as they put it a couple times in the book, he is straight up and down. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I thought, again, that was really good. That really solidified Loken and also put those kind of seeds in really early in the book. Absolutely. Uh, another interesting thing is after, now after Horus kills the Emperor and they sort of, they win the battle, uh, they describe the whole thing as they're coming in as the spear tip, cut the head off the enemy and then the rest of the body will fall. It's, all this, it's very military, very violent, very go forward. But then they agree to have a full-on funeral for the Emperor and to try to placate sort of the, the planet. Yes. Um, the Luna Wolves won't go to the... Uh, funeral. They refuse because they're still mad about Sejanus. I believe that's how you pronounce his name, Sejanus. Yeah, yeah, that would do. Uh, <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, but you know, a couple of them have been killed. Just, just, just cold blooded. They come down to bring the emperor's message, and these guys just shot him, and you know, out, out of the blue, blindsided. In cold him. blood, yeah. And the Luna Wolves are are mad, and they're like, "We're not going." However, 
Dorn is there with the Imperial Fists, and so they go as a contingent um, because they do want to show. And I think that's an important bit is they want – they're not there to kill everything, and they're not there to no. force people into slavery. They are there to bring the truth of the emperor to them, and they are there as almost a last resort. And that comes out a whole bunch of times in the book. And that's that, their, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, their, their belief is this is good for you in the long run. And it's a this last might, resort to This call might out. be your foul-tasting medicine you need, but it will make you better. And there's that conviction that, you know, we don't want to do this, but for your sake, we are going to do it. Right. But they try, Horace shows, he tries two or three times to get through peacefully to these people and it was you know and it just wasn't working right and uh i find it i just found it great that this this continuous show of there is there is this empathy and this attempt to be peaceful and kind um of course if you don't listen i mean they're killing machines yeah well if you're gonna if you're gonna give someone an ultimatum and you've got nothing to back it up with then you have an ultimatum i mean it is the iron glove wrapped in the velvet or the iron fist wrapped in the velvet glove we're coming at you with the velvet glove don't make us crunch with the iron fist um um, uh, yeah absolutely um and at this point in, in that we we have um the remembrances uh bought in um and cost key and you're uh, you're introduced to Mercedes Olaton. She's the next one on my list. Yeah, and and Cinderman and all the other remembrances, the iterators, um, which was something that when I read the books, it was kind of new, and um, I could see why they did it. Never really thought about why they would want to do it, but having initially, having I that, thought they were there for us. Well, they there is that element of that they are human, right? And they, therefore, they can show a completely human viewpoint of what's going on. I also feel that they tell their own story. Looking back on it, um, they don't have the humans, the Primarchs, and the Space Marines are three very different breeds of creatures. Right. And um, Space Marines are brought into. When they're trained, they're taken in at like ages 13, 14, oldest, you know, might even be eight, depending on where they've come from. Um, and they're psychometrically trained and they're, you know, brainwashed into this emperor worshipping right. thing. Um, these humans they haven't had that. All they've had is the propaganda. Yeah, and they are. And like I said, I, uh, that's kind of what I meant was they're there for us. They're not necessarily. Uh, you know the character that we can relate to the most because I think we really relate to Loken and some of the yes. other space a lot. But they're there to remind us that as much as you're relating with Loken, he is not one of us. No, he is. Yeah, he is a different breed, a different species altogether. Um, they are basically like superheroes. I mean, for all intents and purposes. And um, plus, the Remembrancers serve a nice. Uh, they're used. Dan Abnett used them very well as devices in the book um i think the first one we meet like i said mercedes olaton uh becomes she becomes basically almost like loken's remembrancer yes um and it's it's really great because i i just i gotta read this one part it's it's when she first meets up with him when she first meets him she's supposed to meet with uh how did you pronounce the name torgadden 
Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, something okay. like that. I'll go with that too. I was saying Torgadon, but I could be Englishizing it. I, I was, think, as, as far as I remember on the audio, it was Torgadon. Torgadon. Well, I was saying Abaddon, and then I actually said, I want to make sure this is right, and I went on the internet and went to dictionary.com and clicked it, and it's Abaddon. So if I'm going to pronounce it, I'm going to go say with Abad- you. Uh, um, Yeah, I think the, the demon's um, Abaddon. Ah. I, I think he's pronounced Abaddon. Yeah. But it, it doesn't really matter, does it really? <laughs> I, I just, well, I mean, okay, about. folks, if we, I just, I, you know, I figure if we're going to go on the show, I'd like, I mean, names, if I mispronounce people, I'm not going to mispronounce, you know, basic words, but I'd like to think that I am smart enough to pronounce things right, but with names, you never know. I don't hear them pronounced. But he asks, can I help you? And she says, I understand you have a story, a particularly entertaining one, and I'd like to remember it. And which story? Horus killing the emperor. He stiffened. He didn't like it when Nanastardi's humans called the War Master by his true name. And it's just like, oh, okay. And then later in the same chapter, when she asks him, couldn't we have left them alone? Because she's really great because she's got a human point of view. He tells her the whole story about how they placated the planet and says, couldn't we have left them alone? No. Ask a better question. Very well. What's he like? What is who like, lady? Horus. If you have to ask, you've not met him. No, I haven't. And I've been waiting still. I'd like to know what you think of Horus. And there's the dash. He cuts her off. I think he is war master, Loken said. His tone was stone hard. I think he is the master of the Luna Wolves and the chosen proxy of the Emperor, praise be his name, in all our undertakings. He is the first and foremost of all Primarchs, and I think I take offense when a mortal voices his name without respect or title. Oh, she said, I'm sorry, Captain. I I meant no, I'm sure you didn't, but he is war master, Horus. You're a remembrancer. Remember that. And it's like, oh, damn, (laughs) you know, just, you know, he seems like a really common and 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 down to earth sort of space marine. But, man, does he is he loyal to Horus? And does he again, that something's rammed home through that whole book. Right. You know, Horus is is much more than just their leader. Yeah, they worship him. They love him. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And she actually tries to apologize later. He says, listen, don't worry about it. I was I was a little harsh on you. But just, I mean, just to even hear, to hear, just to hear a normal human say his name like that without a, without a title or respect, it just, it actually got him angry just to hear someone say the name. I was like, ooh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but she becomes a really great character because she, um, sort of her questions to him get him thinking which leads us to the next character that you mentioned, which is Cinderman, the iterator. Yes. Um, who's one of these guys who's out there giving speeches and rallying the troops, and he's sort of Loken's mentor slash teacher? Yeah. Like, um, again, we've got Loken was you know taken in as a, uh, as a young man to be indoctrined into being a space marine. Um, you've got this guy in, who's like eight foot tall, power armor, greatest of the greatest, and yet he's going to this old man for teaching. Because this guy's actually lived a human life for however many years he's been alive. Yeah, um, so he's getting and his so, philosophy and, and stuff like that from this guy. Yeah, you know, space marines don't get that. They don't have their lives about going from war to war and doing the Emperor's work in that respect. Yeah. The, the humans can supply that, and Cinderman has this wealth of knowledge and, you know, philosophical ideas and debates. And, and there's another. <laughs> another device that once again that opens up another side of Loken to us because he asks he's the one who asks questions not like Olaton who's sort of like starstruck and and amazed and just wants to learn what it's like to be a space marine here's a guy who knows what it's like 
you know, what do you see yourself as? You know, because he, even he asked, because he asked Cinderman, you know, couldn't we have just left them alone? Because yeah. he doesn't know if he should join. They, they want him to join the Morneval, which is the the group of the, the poor. Yeah, the inner circle of Horace that helps sort of talk and, and he his sounding boards, his, they almost say they call them naysayers, you know, people who question him and sort of make sure he sees all sides of, a, of an argument. Um, it reminded me of the four humors. You know, from, you know, from, right, old, yeah. you know, because you've got Abaddon, which is, you know, the anger and the collar. And then you've got little Horace, who's the melancholy. You've got the laughter, you know, from uh, uh, from Torgadon. And then you've got Loken, who's like sort of the, you know, the calm and the balance. Yes. And he asked him, he goes, really, should I do this? Because he's asking, you know, should I have left them? But he, uh, there's a, a great conversation that I really enjoyed, which he says, you know, do you ever, you know, he goes, I'm not supposed to ask questions. I'm a weapon. I don't question. I, I get orders and I do it. And he goes, you never question them? He's like, not when I've got orders because people above me have figured them out. But then he's like, yes, but later on you have other sort of, and he's like, you've, he's like you, you have a humanity that is important. That's, that's, I think that's why they picked you. You, yeah. you seem to have a, a link to a humanity that that balances out some of the other Space Marine stuff. It's it's a really great passage and a great conversation. Um, you know, he but he seems more human because he asks these questions, and so the question comes up again where he talks to him. Couldn't we? And then the the topic of truth comes up again. Yeah, I was, I've, I've written a big, you know, kind of my notes. A nice big section on that. The the, the truth, um, the imperial secular truth, um, and truth comes up in different forms and and. The imperial secular truth is something they're trying to really. That's what they're bringing the message. Right. Of there are no gods, there are no demons, there is no, you know, faith is not needed. We have science. Right. And science has all the answers we need. Um, and he talks to Cinderman about this all the time, and they talk about it nonstop actually through the book. Right. Uh, uh, because uh, even Cinderman says he goes, "Well, my truth is better than your truth, so that's it." And no, that that can't be enough. Just because yeah. I know I'm right, well, you know you're right, so who's right? Um, also leads into that weird question of, he's like, well, if they believe they're right, why should we be pushing stuff on them? And he has a great thing. He says, if you saw a child drowning, would you save it? Yes. What if you went out there and you frightened the kid and the kid tried to beat you off? Would you just say, well, you're stupid, so drown? Well, no, of course not. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> you save them anyway. Exactly. It's fantastic. The, the funniest thing to me was actually in the whole, the vehemence of that in, um, imperial secular truth is semi-religious in its nature. Yes. And they fail to, they fail ever to grasp the fact that they're, they're you know, they're zealots for, in, for a secular truth. Uh-huh. And, and that never kind of enters their minds um, at all. It's just not something they think of because they know their truth well, is the truth. And, and I'll... I'll you know, I, I don't want to get too off topic and bring any too much religion or politics, real religion or politics. But you know, for anyone, I, I, I was raised Roman Catholic, and when I started reading this and how it was just like people who believe in religion were stupid, and people who this or that, and we're bringing truth. And at first, I was a little put off, and I was like, "Oh, is, is this going to start preaching all this weird secularism and atheism at me?" Like through the whole book, because it did come on really strong in Cinderman's first yeah. arguments, and I was I was a little put off by it at the first. As I first started reading it, and so I was—I I actually was a little sensitive to it at the first because it was so in your face 
his first little speech, I was like, okay. It's very, very aggressive. It's very aggressive. And it, it's not throughout the series. It's just that this is what they believe. And it's part of this whole thing of there are no demons or monsters, which sort of later becomes, you know, you start questioning. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's a brilliant setup. Um, yeah. Cinderman hits it. And then we get on to um, Carcassy, who's the other uh, remembrancer, right. who goes off for his walk during the... Um, on planet side and gets beaten up because he starts to question. I thought they killed him. <laughs> he yeah. does. Carcass, yeah, well, he goes think, down I there. Think we all did. And um, well, cause it said he stopped breathing. I mean, he goes off, he gets drunk, he sneaks away, he yeah. gets drunk, he finds a temple and starts reading this book and starts going on about how all their stuff was destroyed. Mm. And then, and in, he's, this ahead. is a guy who's, who's talked about in there as having a, you know, he believes in the sanctity of science and reason it shows disdain for those who need a god. And yeah. yet on his drunken journey, he starts to question his own self. Uh, and, and, and even that, he, he, looks, he walks into a place of worship and, so, and thinks he feels spirits upon him, looking down upon him. And even with this strong secular truth he's got, there's this supernatural thing to him. And we start to kind of get a bit of a breakdown of kind of, yeah, the secular truth is everything it lives up to be, you know. Well, and then, of course, he goes back to the bar, and he meets a bunch of IG, you know, these Imperial Guard, these human soldiers, and basically yeah. starts going on how nothing lasts. And so even the Imperium's not going to last. Someday this will all fall apart. Even what you build won't last. And they get pissed, and they beat the crap out of him. They do. I, mean, I thought they killed him. It literally said he stopped breathing. I'm like, damn, they killed him. Um, and it turns out later they didn't. And that's when Mercedes uh, comes up and asks Loken to intercede, and basically uh, uh, he's going to be he's going to be sent back to Earth, and his remembrancer title taken away. But Loken vouches for him, uh, but he has to pass all his writings through him, and he yeah, he, he goes, becomes his sponsor. Yeah, he, he comes his, and he questions him on a bunch of stuff, and he's like, you know, do you? He goes, she said that you never lie. He goes, is this? I'm asking you straight up. Do you lie? He goes, no, I don't. I never lie. He goes, you never lie. He goes, nope. And he's asking me, he goes, and what did you say? And he tells him, I said that this, nothing you make will last, which actually goes back to something from earlier when he met up with, um, who did he meet? He meets someone from one of the other, uh, Sigismund from the Imperial yeah. Fists, who tells him that the war will never end. In the far future, there will be only war. Yes. And, uh, so he hears again, the war's never going to end, nothing's ever going to last, you're going to have to fight to keep it there. Um, and actually, Carcassi or Carcassi or whoever his name is thinks, I'm getting sent back. He's, he, he's asking me all these questions. But he tells him the truth anyway. He, this is what I said. And he looks at him and goes, I, I will sponsor you, for, but only on one condition. Well, two, you have to fill, I have to see everything you're writing. And two... You have to keep telling the truth no matter what. He's like, even if you guys don't like what I have to say, and he goes, the truth is all we have. Once again, going back on this theme, and I thought that was great. Yeah, and and it's kind of Loken's. We actually see where Loken's loyalty is here. Loken's loyalty is to the truth. Yeah, Loken's loyalty is is not to be blind loyal. It's to be openly loyal to that which he believes to be true. So. We're starting to see a real person who's got real character, who's prepared to question, and, and that just makes us bond stronger with him, I think. Absolutely. Um, and then the book moves along a little bit. Uh, one of the things that I've written down here, which it's gone earlier, is when he starts, when Horace is talking, he talks in Chthonian, 
which is the planet Horus is from. Yeah. And whenever they want to talk uh, privately, like war stuff, they'll slip into Chthonian because they're the only ones who speak it. Uh, battle chant. Yeah. Uh, don't think Horus actually went there. It's where the uh, it's where the lunar walls are based. Right. And uh, Horus learned it, even though he never actually lived there. No, he didn't but, yeah. live there. No. I, N- no. Isn't that where the emperor found him? Again, if you look back, I don't think it actually specifically says where the em- where the emperor found Horus. Okay. Um, there's talk about the Horus. Um, Horus never actually left Terra. Oh, the, um, okay. Because I I remember because yeah, even in this book I read it said he what he he wasn't a child on Cth- on Chthonia. No, no. But as in, so he not not that he never went there, but he he wasn't like like the other Primarchs were spread. He didn't land on Chthonia and was brought up there. Okay, that's just where they've gone to get their space marines from. But uh, he's speaks- a little bit grey. Yeah. yeah. And he, he speaks Chthonian, but he speaks the low common form of Chthonian, like that the, the lowest class speaks. And Loken even says, that's, there's no way that's an accident. No. He no goes, again, he, it's all part of that. Horace knows exactly how to get every single person he meets onto his side. And by speaking uh, like the most common tongue of this language, he is one know, of the common people. Absolutely. From a planet of gang culture, he lowers himself to be- being a ganger, to being one of them. And he does it all the way through the book. Every time he meets, when he meets the the Imperial Fists, he talks to them in a way that they're going to respond to. Uh, and he does it to the humans, and he does it all the way through. Right. So um, then we move along, and Loken is brought down by the three remaining members of the Mornival, because one of them just was the one who was killed, Sejanus, Sejanus. Um, and now so you've got Aximand, Little Horus, Abaddon, and uh, Abaddon, and Torgaddon. And um, Loken brings Mercedes Olaton with him, and she can't go with to the actual thing, but he brings her with because she's one of the reasons he's there, he says. Um, yeah. It was because it was, and she's thankful, but I think the important thing in this that I took away from it is they start that ceremony. You've got Absolutely. the reflecting moon, and... Loken stops halfway through and says, oh, wait a minute, uh, uh, I, I don't want nothing to do with this. And they're like, what's your problem? And yeah. these these little rituals and ceremonies, they smack of some quasi-religious sort of thing. And he's like, this, no, this is not. And they're like, dude, it's- calm down. We've been doing this for hundreds of years, and we just like to do it. It's just, it's a formality that we enjoy. There's nothing overtly religious mystical, or mystical yeah. about it this is just this is how we did it the first time and we just we, it, we it's a tradition not not anything else uh, and once again you get that whole he doesn't like weird anything that's sort of under the table or gets out of the line from that open truth yeah that's that's he's very straight down the line with that yeah um but and that's i think that's the. I think that's the one thing I really took away from that. Other than they sat around till dawn, just hanging out and uh, and joking and laughing and getting to know each other, building this camaraderie because they've got all sorts of special duties that come up. Um, oh, you're also Carcassy. I forgot what else he did. Was he introduced us? He when he was in that temple, he you get your first introduction to the the, the lectio divinitatus. Um, yeah, which is. Um in a, in a in a world in a universe where there's the imperial secular truth, there's already aspects of the the you know, the lower levels of the crusade, the humans worshiping the emperor as a god, even though he says the emperor says no, I'm not a god. 
Yeah. People are looking at him going, well, you look like a god, you act like a god, you know, and if it looks and acts like a god, it's probably a god. <laughs> exactly. So th- that's already started to get ingrained in, in the populace. Right, and that stuff's being stamped out too. Um, let's cover one or two more little points and then let's take a break because we're hitting we're hitting almost the length that we wanted the show to be, and I'd like to try to get almost up to part two before we take a break here. Okay. Um, let's see. You find out the purpose of the Mournival is not just advisors to Horus when you see their first meeting. Yeah, that, he, yeah. again, they're a tool that Horus can use to get his own way to, to, and, and, and to not necessarily and to be seen, not to be seen to be getting his own way, but to manipulate people. Yeah, I mean, Horace comes in and, you know, he asks, like, well, what should we do if it's so hard to play, if it's going to take so long to placate the planet? And then it's Loken who steps up and says, send me in the 10th. We'll, we'll, we'll get him done lickety split. Yeah, we'll finish the job. Yeah. Well, are you suggesting we should unleash the wolves? No, I'm not suggesting we should unleash all the wolves. Just my detachment, just enough to get the job done. So it's somebody else saying it, and Horace can be like, listen, I don't... I, you know, we, you guys are a last resort. I don't want to just throw you out there all the time. He does this several times. Yeah. Um, he does it later on again um, when they get to that planet, the uh, murder. murder. Um, yeah. When the, when there's with people. With the Empress who, Children. Yeah, when they need dressing down, Horace doesn't want to be the one to put them in their place. So the Mournival just tear. <laughs> that was a great scene, by the way. Yeah, we can talk about that in part two, but that was a great scene. So um, here, I'm gonna tr- let's try to I'm gonna try to keep us on track here and may not get off too far. All right, so here's the part. The last part of part one is where Loken goes down to back down to sixty three nineteen. Yeah, to the Whisper Heads, the Whisper Heads, or the Whisper Peaks, or whatever it was called. And uh, it's really cool. He's bringing some of the Remembrancers with them. He's uh, Mercedes doesn't make it. She got stuck. Because she was looking in on Carcassy because he was almost dead, and she yeah. missed her chance. And so, but you meet a new one, Euphrates Keeler, who is a, a photographer. And they're going down, and as they're going down to the planet, there's all this distortion on the Vox coming in on the Voxcaster with this "I am Samus, I am Samus, Samus is here, I will eat your bones." And their very first, automatically, they put it down to you know, the humans that are there want to kind of are automatically saying, oh, it's something mystical. And then the space marines are automatically saying, don't be stupid. Don't be it's, just, <laughs> it's just a trick of the en- en- enemy. Yeah, that's their legends, and they're trying to trying to make us think that their legends are real. Don't be stupid. Um, of course, you go in, and, and I, even I knew a little bit, like, oh, there might be something there, because it, I've heard things like that before, even playing fantasy with chaos demons and yeah. stuff. But we'll see what happens. What nice. really struck me was almost the Twilight Zone sort of moment where they get down to the planet and uh, Cinderman's there and he's looking up on his slate. He's looking up the information. This was one of their old demons. It's like a demon on the planet. He was locked away in this place. He's like their version of the devil. And, you know, he, so this, this whole thing coming through the Vox is, and he even says that, you know, it's coming through on the Vox, but it's just, it's just them trying to scare people using that legend and Keela looks at him and goes, but I, I've been hearing it the whole time I've been here, and I don't have a box. Yeah, and yet he's still, all that time, he's, he's grasping at the secular explanation of it. Yeah. He, he's, he's so so focused that he's blind to any other explanation as he goes through it. And, uh, and then um, 
then we get the, the the Space Marines assault the Whisperheads, which again I, th- I just thought was another exercise in you know futility of defending against the Space Marines. No, by by the end of part one, you just get the feeling that nothing can stand in the way of Space Marines. Well, especially because they say it's going to cost us thousands of lives and and, the and Imperial Guard, of the Imperial, yeah. And there were thousands of dead Imperial Guard. We've been trying to take this place for weeks. They, I mean, they go up there, they can't even get their dead. Because they're caught in a crossfire anytime they come close. There are thousands of dead Imperial Guard there. And then the Space Marines go up there in a couple of hours. 90-some minutes, and they don't lose yeah. one Marine. And take the place apart. They go with a unit of Terminators in the front, and then um, the guy he had promoted... Vipers, Nero Vipers. Yeah. Vipers got the promotion, even though Jubal was more senior, because they told him, go with your... The Mornival told... Loken, go with your gut. That's what you're here for. And uh, so he lets Jubal take the lead behind the Terminators just to so that he doesn't feel slighted. You know, to, to regain some glory. Exactly. Yeah. And they go rushing in there, and he gets there first, and he turns around, and he's like, can't you see the writing in the water? Says, what writing in the water? Dude, that was really kind of creepy. That yeah. was sort of Evil Dead creepy, where they're just all of a sudden he's talking about and seeing things that nobody else can see. And yeah, and, you know, as as a as a guy who's played forty cat, you you get this feeling, and you guy who knows the his, guys who know the history, it's like, oh, he's lost it. Oh yeah. Oh oh, this is not going to end well. And then he turns around and puts a bolt shot in one of the space marines' heads, and Loken can't believe what he's seeing. He's actually frozen there for a minute, like yeah, I, I didn't just see that. And then he shot another this, one. He's like, what? In the-? I mean, yeah, it's it's. When um, when actually when he's talking to Sigismund earlier in the book, um, they talk about um, how you know they actually talk about how space marines can't be stopped, the legions cannot be stopped. The only thing that would ever would ever cause us an issue is if we would fight each other. And then they say, and this will never be tested. Yeah, that'll only happen if the world turns upside down and right is wrong and black is white and all that stuff. You know, it's and the- then all of a sudden, Loken seen one of his own warriors fire upon one of his own warriors and it's just it's it's so beyond abnormal it's so wrong that it just stops him yeah and when he does he goes and tackles him and he doesn't even shoot him he goes to tackle him and tries to restrain him and fight him and this guy is inhumanly strong he's picking up space marines with one hand and throwing them around yeah or in inhumanly strong in astartesly strong i don't know if that's the right term exactly <laughs> yeah even even more abnormally strong but we yeah and that whole that whole fight there's there's a complete, like, no one can understand what's going on. Yeah. At there's, all. I mean, they're uh, literally trying to restrain him. There's something wrong with him. Stop him. But yeah. there's never a thought of kill him because we don't kill our brothers. No. And then they think they kill him, and he gets up again, and it's like, wait, oh, come on. And then he starts deforming, and he's got all these little marks and boils and little tribe marks of boils, and, you know, we're all sitting there. We obviously... There's something nurgly going on. Yeah. Um, but he deforms and goes after it, and then he goes rushing down the halls, and he knocks Cinderman out of the way, and he's about to kill Yef- uh, Keeler. And she's so terrified she can't even take pictures. She just – in fact, the one thing is she's – before she dies, she's thankful that she was brave enough not to wet herself so that she won't be found peed on yes. you know, and dead. <laughs> you know? Just, just and, completely – absolutely captivated by terror. Yeah. And um, 
then it goes to the next chapter, and Abaddon's like, you killed him, right? He's like, yeah, we killed him. He's like, are you sure you killed him? It took 90 bolter rounds at full to, auto. To finish him and off. And then we burned the body. And I'm like, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, they describe these bolter rounds. I remember first reading this. I didn't realize that these things were basically like grenade bullets. I mean, they're, they, they're, they're mini rockets. Yeah, they hit they hit humans, and humans explode in a spray of yeah. red, uh, red mist. Mass, uh, mass reactive uh, detonation <laughs> upon upon impact. Ninety of them. Yeah, just, I mean, one of them in a space marine's head kills space marines. Yeah. And you think if space marines are that tough, that's what they're doing. It took, I was just like, that's insane. Um, he actually goes to see Cinderman. Oh, oh, and remember, they don't want this to get out. Uh, the, yeah, so you know, all bad, hushed up. Yeah, and Loken doesn't like that. Are we denying this happened? No, but we don't want panic to spread through either. He goes, until we can figure out exactly what this was. That was just a crazy wild animal. There was a few. They went from a perfect mission to a few losses. Loken is torn up by this. He goes to see Cinderman. Um, there's a great part where he's like, uh, you know, there's got to be a rational explanation for it. Yeah, this is it. Cinderman's even seen what happened, and yet every, anything but what he actually saw, he's grasping at an explanation. It's like, yeah, it had to be something else. It had to be something else. He's always looking for that, you know, that, that cause for it, which isn't what it actually is. Yeah, because he even says, and actually Loken goes to him and asks him, and this is the part that I was that actually kind of surprised me about halfway through the movie. He goes, are there demons? And he actually asks him, are spirits real? He goes, no. And he goes, that's what we're taught, but could they be here? No, there's no demons. He goes, I've studied the archives, and I know that Samus is this thing. And he, and he says to him, uh, let me, I'll read from here, legends, Garville, only legends, myths. We have learned much during our time amongst the stars, and the most pertinent of those things is that there is always a rational explanation, even for the most mysterious event. And Astartes draws his weapon and kills his own whilst claiming to be a demon from hell? Rationalize that, sir. He's like getting pissed again. He's like, you yeah. rationalize that. Because that doesn't make sense on any level. And Cinderman's explanation is, well, he had all those growths and he got all disgusting and marred. It could be a disease. And he yeah, goes, we're resistant to disease. He goes, you're resistant. You're not immune. No. And there's his answer. The interesting thing is that Loken is still having trouble with this and Horus comes to see him. Yeah, and, and any scene where Horus shows up is just great, and he gives him the imperial truth. Yeah, a real hot, hot, but a slightly different version of the imperial truth. Because in this, Horus reveals that actually, although you go through the book and the warp is just another place, Horus reveals that, well, actually, we know that there are, um, there is something in the warp. Yeah, it's a place, um, and there's other things. It's. You know, it, yeah, it, and it's not—it's not good. It's not bad. It's—it's—it's it's, it's just that there are things that can affect us. People would see it and might say demons, because yeah. their weaponry and the way they act is completely foreign to anything else we've ever seen, and looks like stuff that would be a, have been described in the less civilized days as demons. But I assure you, that's not what it is. No, it's Xenos. Yes, it's Xenos. But, which... but the pure <laughs> fact that. Actually, Horace is kind of revealing that it's only him and a few others that know about this. You know, they've they've kept this a secret. It was a little bit revealing in that how high, how much does the Emperor know what's going on? How much is he letting down to which levels of yeah. what's going on? Yeah. Um, and, and, and actually, at this point, we actually see Horace very slowly start to wonder about the emperor's plans 
Well, that's yeah, starts that's, to question himself a little bit as well. That's the next thing on my list, too. And this is really kind of sad. Uh, there's a couple of things in here. Um, and it's um, he, Horace talks about, you know, why do you think I got made the war master? And when he talks about, he opens up about when the emperor met him. You know, and he talks a little bit about this, and he, uh, that actually comes later. But he says, uh, "I'm war master because the emperor is busy. He's not re- he has not retired to Terra because he's weary of the crusade. He's gone there because he has more important work to do, more important yes. than the crusade." Horace nodded. So he said to me, after Olinor, he believed the time had come when he could leave the crusade, working in the hands of the Primarchs, so that he might be freed to undertake a still higher calling, which is. Loken waited for an answer, expecting some transcendent truth. What the war master said was, I don't know. He didn't tell anyone. Or, you know, I, I don't know. He didn't yeah. tell me. He hasn't told anyone. Horace paused. For what seemed like an age, the wind banged against the long house shutters. Not even me, Horace whispered. Loken sensed a terrible hurt in his commander, a wounded pride that he, even he, had not been worthy to know the secret. And it's just like, okay, <laughs> there's, you know, there's a, there's a little, it gives you that littlest seed of... There's something not a hundred percent right. No, Horace is 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 fallible. In yeah, that, you know, not everything is bam. He doesn't. He's not absolutely sure of everything that's going on, and he's just starting to kind of wonder um, about his place and about the emperor's plans and and what's going on. And this is right about now. That's the, the deceived, and I love the title as that was the deceived. I'm like, who is being lied to? And you're like, realize. They all are kind of being lied to. Yes. Horace has been deceived a bit. Um, You know, we've all been deceived about what's in the warp. And, you know, I mean, if you want to take it, it's gone all the way back to the emperor. The emperor has lied to them about what's in there. And that lie, that moving away from that, you know, from the truth, whether it be the imperial truth or not, moving away from the truth is now hurting them. Yeah. And that's just kind of, I'm kind of like, wow, that's that's something or else, something or other. Um, you know what? Let's take a break, and then we'll come back and start with uh, Brotherhood in Spiderland. Hello, Joker here, transmitting straight from the guts of Gotham City. When I'm not busy planting bombs in hospitals, I'm usually listening to Garage Gamer. And I thought my jokes were bad. Right, uh, the transmission continues. The Brotherhood in Spiderland. Uh, I like this part. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, this you get a couple of interesting things here. You meet an enemy that's actually deadly to a space marine. Yeah, absolutely. This felt to me part two felt like where part one was all about hope and 
you know, uh, kind of rejoicing in Space Marines. Part two then showed you actually they can be hurt and, and there are some doubts and maybe it isn't going to be as easy as we thought it was. Yeah, all of that. But it also, I think it showed you that these guys, I mean, you you hear that phrase all the time, they'll know no fear. Um, yeah. Dude, they can take a lot, though, and they can they can dish out a lot. Here, you find out against an enemy that the humans wouldn't have a chance against, that the Imper- that the space marines are, are having trouble with. But yeah, they might be having trouble, but damn, they're still good. <laughs> they're still able to oh, dish yeah. it out. Um, Even when yeah, in the, in the direst of circumstances, you you still don't want to mess with them. Exactly. So now you get this place that they've called murder. Um, interesting. Uh, the, uh, it starts off actually not with the Luna Wolves at all, but with the Emperor's children. And they've shown up to uh, help reinforce the Blood Angels who went down onto this planet and have disappeared, basically. Yeah. Um, and they go down there, and you're introduced to three major characters here. And once again, these are names that I guess everybody else would, or at least two of them, everyone who knew their... Yeah, it's, stuff it's, would know, and I had no idea who these people some were. So um, even like Sigismund previously, Sigismund actually is credited as being the first Emperor's Children, who's part, uh, sorry, the first Emperor's Champion, oh, which okay. is part of the Black Templars um, Codex in oh. 40K. Um, they're they're a successor chapter of the Imperial Fists, oh. and they have a one of their... One of the Marines is always raised to the Emperor's Champion, and he goes around fighting all the best fights. Um, and Sigismund was the first Emperor's Champion. Oh, cool. I, so, uh, I'm learning that, something. No, that's great. I didn't know so that. So That links back in from there, and we've got um, Lucius here, who who Become, is playable in 40K. Right. you got Lucius Eidolon? Is it? Eidolon. Lord Eidolon. Commander Eidolon. Uh, Lord Commander Eidolon. Uh, and Saul Tarvitz. And they're both captains, Lucius and Tarvitz. I loved... The dynamics of these characters. First, you got yeah. the Lord Commander, who is a, a great fighter, but boy, is he pompous and and a, and a, just a royal pain in the in the in the backside. Yes, uh, but you don't even meet him first. You got Tarvitz and Lucius, and you couldn't get two more different captains. Um, it's really interesting because in parts of this, they talk about. Um, you know, the emperor's children are trying to be like the emperor to to attain that sort of perfection. And that's, uh, yeah, that's their, their raison d'etre. Is um, each of the legions has their styles, and the emperor's children is the pursuit of perfection, um, and and how they go about it is then reflected, particularly in Tarvitz and Lucius, uh, because Lucius is uh, they say a great sword fighter and he's great, but man, he is conceited. Uh, yeah, he 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 is striving for perfection, but he's also striving for the glory of that perfection. That everybody's going to know he's the best. And there's actually a whole segment here that I really loved. I'm not going to read it because it's kind of long, but it's where Tarvitz talks about how he knows Lucius is going to pass him up in the ranks eventually. He could even become first commander. Tarvitz will never become first commander because he's found his role. Yeah, I am. He's, I am he's that round peg in that round hole. Yes, and I am going to be perfect in my job. I am not trying to move up to a place I'm not necessarily meant for. I am the perfect piece for this spot, and I have attained a perfection of that. And he's humble, and he is everything that an emperor's child should be. 
And you start to see, once again, with those cracks in it. Um, the, yeah, I feel, uh, yeah, with um, Tarvitz, Lucius, and then Eidolon, you're seeing three different aspects of that perfection. And possibly three, uh, two particularly different ways that it, it can fall down. So Lucius is, is as you say, is all about um, the kind right. of self-glory yeah. perfection and, and becoming the best to be known as the best. Um, and then Eidolon later on, you actually kind of get this image that he's gone beyond that and he just wants to know that he's better than everyone else. Right. But he wants them to know that. Yep. And, uh, and it's taking it that step further. Um, you also get some really interesting uh, dynamics between them. There's a really great part where you know they're going through and they're getting attacked by these basically what are like armored giant spiders, the yeah, mega bladed limbs. Yeah, with bladed limbs, and um, you know they, they go in. The, a bunch of these guys are dying, and and uh, Lucius like I, I shot one. I, I hit him. I know I hit him. Oh, did you see him? No, I didn't see him. He ran away. And then when the thing runs out, he kills it. He cuts off one of the limbs. He starts using one of these blades as a second weapon. And um, he's like, I think this is pretty good. I, I think I, and it actually cuts through his gauntlet, his his armor. Yeah. And so he wraps it up the, on the end, and he's using it as a weapon. And Tarvid says to me, he goes, that's Xenos. You shouldn't be using it. And he's like, oh, come on. This thing is great. And, you know, I need every weapon I can get. These things are crazy. And he's like, it's Xenos. You really shouldn't be using it. We don't use inferior Xenos weaponry. And there's that perfection there and that sort of keeping to your ethos that he goes in. And Lucius is like, yeah, whatever. Um, they have 90. It, they're there for 90 hours. and They have 28 engagements with the enemy over 90 hours. <laughs> yeah, they're really set upon. They're just being hammered from every corner. And as they're losing people, they come out to across a clearing and they find these big, weird cement trees or they look like trees made of cement and as they get closer the missing imperial guard and space marines are impaled and hung on them yeah all the blood angels are left oh yeah the blood kind angels and the glory as gory kind of um it's like a feeding tree for which these um the flying uh uh insect creatures are, are eating off and it's kind of it offends everything about what space marines are? It's like that's you know it's it's, it's the old school warrior thing of and our he's men had enough. Left like that. Yeah, he's like we yeah. gotta blow it up. He's like we yeah. have to destroy it. They can't do this. And Lucius like you're wasting your bombs. You're wasting our grenades. He's like no, I'm not. This cannot stand. Now yeah, it's not a matter of this is going to win us a war. They've these guys have pretty much accepted that they're dead. Yeah, there's all, all of these Empress children. They they can't get off the planet. They're beset on all sides by these things that they can kill, but they're taking Marines with them every time they attack. And I think, and they just they're, they're just like, well, this is this is our life. We know we're going to die in war, and we're, I, we're cool with that. We can handle that, but only if we take enough of them out to make it worthwhile. Exactly. But did I miss something here? The planet didn't have all these storms raging on it when they first got there. It was once no, they started correct. dropping in that the storms covered the planet yes. and cut off all communications. Like, the storms were just interfering with everything. Yeah. And when they blow up the the tree, above it, the storms dissipate. Yeah. And they never explain how the hell all of this works. But it, well, no, it's uh, they kind of allude to it's a, a psychic um, kind of storm calling ability that right. these creatures have. Um, purely by the nature of when these things die, they, it creates these pockets. 
of, um, of clear sky. Right. And then, um, so they blow it up, and the explosion and the fire and stuff actually leads, Edelon finds them. Some of these yeah. other Marines find them because of the fire. Now, Edelon shows up and talk about a pompous prig. I mean, this guy, uh, first of all, he's like, so you blew it up, huh? And then they're like, well, what do you mean there were space marines on? Do you have any proof? He's like, no, we blew it up. And Edelon goes, that was an awful waste of grenades, don't you think? And then there's Lucius. I told him it was a waste, sir. It's like, yeah. you tool. It starts to show all of those, um, the negative aspects of trying to show that you're the best. Yeah. They're all shown in Eidolon. Um, and actually, that kind of starts to lead you towards, you know, if they're going to have any problems as a legion, their pride is their problem. Exactly. And it's, and it's already there. And I, yeah. I, but I liked, and then Edelon, of course, goes to punish him. Well, if they were there, you got, you take your men and you go dig over there and you find us some some bits of what's left. He's like, dude, we blew it up. He's like, well, yeah. there's something will be there. Go find it. And as they're walking back, he looks over at Lucius and he's like, thanks a lot, pal. I love that. It's just like yeah. he's like, what? He's like, oh, I told him, sir. And he and he goes, I did tell you. And I guess Edelon saw Lucius carrying that weapon and he's like. You shame the Legion using that. Drop it. He drops it. And Tarvid says to him, he goes, I told you twice to drop that thing. He goes, yeah. He goes, you didn't see me whining to Edelon. I told him to drop it, sir. No, that's, that's a, that shows a very distinct difference between those two characters. Exactly. Very, very sh- a very short space of time, it, you're able to show the, the very different personalities and, and where that might lead. Yep. Uh, and then they get... Uh, so they go over there to uh, start digging, and as they're digging, um, basically uh, they, they they find a few remains then, and then these other different types of arachnids come out and start trying to rebuild the tree. And yeah. he's like, oh, no, you don't. And then all of a sudden arachnids start coming from everywhere, and they start attacking Edelon and his group, and Lucius is like, we've got to go back and save them. He's like, there's six of us. If yeah. they can't make it without six of us, they can't make it. And so they, yeah, and they, they know they 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 know the you know, this is the last stand, uh, and it's really interesting because they get attacked by weird stuff. And uh, Lucius actually cuts open one of the biggest ones, and in its giant pouchy sack, you know, fat portion of it, the cement that made the tree starts pouring out of it, like it's producing yeah. the cement. And he, Lucius, is buried in it up to his waist. He can't. Can't move. He can't move. He can't get out. He's like, I can't get out. And so they basically surround him. They protect his life while they're fighting off this stuff. And this is where they're just surrounded. People are dying left and right. It's the last stand. He's like, here we go, brothers. You know, tonight we dine in hell. And all of a sudden, boom, bang, bing. Stuff starts blowing up left and right. And uh, Torgadon shows up and saves him. Yeah, last minute, whenever things are at its bleakest, booming come the drop pods, and out come the um, the, the lunar wolves to save the day. Yeah, um, and this was really great, because then he shows up, and uh, him, him and Edelon don't get along well at all. That was another great thing. They get face-to-face. I'm in charge here. I don't think you're really in charge of anything. I'm in charge here. I just saved you. You could be a little more grateful. And Edelon gets in his face, and he starts pushing him. Like, literally, yeah. just two well, hands his, pushing him on the chest. What are you going to do? His pride can't take that. Yeah. And uh, Edelon is pissed, but he backs down because all of a sudden 
he's talking about the you know he points up to the, you see that what's that it's a star yeah and one of those is the war master and he's right there right now coming to fix up what you screwed up and I'm here as his representative now what do you got to say and Lucius doesn't like this at all Lucius is mad Tarvitz is like man I've been wanting to say that to him for years but Lucius doesn't like him at all. Actually, even says, you know, I, I think one of these days I might have to kill him for the way he talked to Edelon. Um, but then you get another great part as he goes and he's talking and trying to figure out what to do. And um, he comes back and he's like, uh, I don't know if we should pull out right away. It seems that Edelon said that when he blew up this tree here, that's what caused the clearing in the sky. He thinks it might be linked. And we all know that not only didn't Edelon do it, but he reprimanded Tarvitz for doing it. Yeah. And when Tarvitz thought it might have something to do with the clearing, he told him he was an idiot. Um, and uh, Tarvitz doesn't take any credit for it. No. Well, he's Again, he knows his position, his place. And he's just like, well, if that's the way they want to play it, they, I'll, I'll be quiet and my job's not to stand in front of my betters and say, actually, but, he can't show idle on up. That's not, that's not his role. But then you've got uh, Brother Boule comes out and is like, uh, permission to speak. And Lucius tries to shut him up. And yeah. Torgan's like, was this one of the guys who was keeping you alive? Yeah, then maybe you ought to shut up and let him talk. And so he tells him, it was him. It wasn't, it was all Tarvitz. It wasn't Edelon at all. And that's it. he has that great line. It's a funny thing. I know it shouldn't matter, but it does. Now that I know you felled the trees, I feel better about pursuing that line of action. Edelon clearly knows a good idea when someone else has it. Now, let's go cut out a few more trees. You could show me how to do it. And Tarvitz actually talks to Torgadon later and tells him, you know, you really shouldn't have done that. And he's like, why? He was acting up. You didn't think I was ready. You know, we're proud. We're a proud group, and we pride ourselves in our perfection. And going at him that hard for making a mistake is really not cool. He's like, not cool to Edelon? And he's like, no, not cool to any of us. And it shows, you know, he he's never going to go and point out that there's a flaw in his commanders. He's loyal, and and even though he doesn't like Edelon himself, he's he's going to point out to this guy whom he likes and respects very quickly. You know, you shouldn't have really that, pushed that far. Yeah, but they they, they have that bondship automatically. Yeah, there's a yeah, quick there's, bond there's two there. warriors who who feel the same way that they quickly connect. Yeah. What was really cool, though, is while in between the time they in between the time the Blood Angels called for help and the time that Torgadon landed on the planet, there was a 12 weeks where the Vengeful Spirit, which is Horus's ship, was traveling through the warp. And a lot went on over there as well. Um, yeah. You know, Loken realizes Cinderman's avoiding him, and he goes to find him, and Cinderman's reading old, old texts, and when he sees him, he puts one away really quickly. Yeah, we've got Cinderman starting to question even his unshakable uh-huh. faith in, in in the secular, um, he, and Loken's really start, you know, he's looking through, at this point now, he's got um, Kuski's notes, and all his ramblings and musings and all that, and he's looking through all of this stuff, desperately searching for 
for the truth. Um, and Cinderman even gives him some old, some of the old books, old texts. And he tells him he'll uh, like it because it's bloody battles and stuff. But later, as he gets to it, there's a whole part about guys turning into demons and turning on their yeah. friends. And he knows there's no way Cinderman gave him that on accident. No. And this is old. Yeah, this is old Terran um, battles, uh, the Chronicles of Ursh. Uh And yeah, there's there's links in there, and there's there's possibilities, and and he realised. Sinderman's maybe searching for his own thing here using Loken. Yeah. He uh, also... It, it kind of to legitimize his own questionings. Yeah, because he knows if Sinderman's questioning it, and that's sort of his mentor, that he's he's not wrong for thinking of that stuff. Mm. Um, he also clears out Jubal's case, uh, the dead, the, the Marines who died in his fact They were down at the Whisper Peaks. And he and finds, finds a, a little medallion. A little coin, yeah. Yeah. And he looks at it, and then they bring in this whole concept of the lodges. And apparently, and the lo- I mean, it reminds me of, like, the VFW lodges here that we have around here. The You know, the veterans' lodges where, right. you know, old soldiers can meet together without, you know. And that's basically, lodges are outlawed. Um, and Loken doesn't like them at all. He thinks they're a no. cult. He thinks they're, once again, quasi-religious, occult things where these guys are getting together in secret and doing secret stuff. Yeah, and it's, and he, it's, it's almost more, even more than the the, the kind of, it's, it's more the secrets than anything else. He could have kind of let a little bit of kind of, you know, theatrics go if you've got to say whatever goes on in those the greetings and all that. That doesn't bother him so much as the fact that there's a secret there. Right. And he finds it, and he actually finds it in Jubal's trunk, and he asks Vipus, who's there, he goes, what is this? And he's like, I can't say. And he's like, this is this lodge stuff. And he's pissed. He's like, I told everybody under my command I won't have anybody in one of these lodges. These are not allowed, and they're wrong. And uh, Vipus is like, I can't say. I don't know anything about it. I don't know You know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, and little Horace eventually comes up to him and invites him to a lodge meeting, and he is really unhappy about this. And like you said, he gets there, and there is nothing occult, and there is nothing um, evil or untoward. Yeah, there's right. no dissent in there. There's nothing. There's nothing in that manner that that's wrong about the lodges. And it's actually some interesting parts because he's there and he's not happy being there, and he thinks it's bad, and he's like, "I want to leave now." And one of the soldiers walks up and he says. You know, I've known you. I, I don't. I don't really know you at all. I, we've never talked too much. But there's, a, so I forget the Marines' name, but there's like a rivalry between them. Yeah. There's, there's this weird rivalry started in in a, in some battle at some point. Uh, one guy doing better than the other, and it's become this rivalry. They don't like each other. And he's like, I've heard you talk though today, and I know who you are now, and I know you a little better. Something we never would have done, being you being a captain and me not being a captain. He goes, but now I know you better. And he goes, and I will. I always would have fought for you, but now when I see you, I'll. I have more respect for you, and I know. And it kind of comes around to see this could be not necessarily a bad thing. He actually goes over to Jubal, who's at the meeting, or I mean Vipus, who's at the meeting, and says, hey, listen, uh, you know, because he seemed uncomfortable being there because he was told yeah. he couldn't be. And he's like, you know, he basically t- takes it all back and says, you know. Yeah, starts uh, to understand why why they're there and, and and what it can do for kind of groups of people and but he does still tell Torgadon he has a problem with it. And Torgadon's yeah. laughing. I'm saying, you are so straight up and down. He goes, we're not supposed to be doing it. And you guys are doing it in secret. And you're keeping it a secret. And you're keeping it a secret very well. And he goes, my yeah. problem with this is if you can keep this meeting a secret, 
What other things could you keep secret? We're not supposed to have secrets. The fact that you have this means there could be others. I'm not saying there are. I'm saying that there is the potential for there being some later, and, and I don't come, like it. And that's come straight off the back of Horace telling him, well, what you did know about the warp is not necessarily what we know about the warp. Exactly. We've kept so the it's secret just a from you. reinforcement of kind of what, what is real in his life now what is can he trust all the information that's coming to him not not in a major way but he's just putting those seeds in again and he's becoming a bit unsure of 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 where he is and that's when he sits down and starts looking at the pictures uh that that first time when they went down when they went down with the remembrancers and the, and 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 uh went to the whisper peaks you know Keeler was taking those pictures, and she sent him a slate with the pictures she took of him doing his oath of moment, which is a really cool scene, describing how the picture looked and all the all the primark, not the primark, all the you know the Morneval standing around and him kneeling and taking the oath of moment with his hand on the bolter, which I thought was cool. They put your hand on a bike, put your hand on a bolter. Yeah. Um, but he flipped through those pictures, and now he notices there's a little small file tucked behind it, and he opens it up, and there's pics of Jubal. She took pictures of him without even realizing she took pictures of him like by reflex she was taking pictures and and when when a bad asked her did you take any pictures goes no i didn't because she really didn't remember taking any pictures because her mind was just because she was still in massive amounts of shock so he goes and finds carcassy and makes him take her to see and this was really i mean she is not well She's oh, got no. some. She's got some Imperial Guard guy there. She's having sex with him. She, he leaves because basically, you know, uh, Loken's like, "Get out now! I got to talk to her." She's drinking heavily. She doesn't come out of her room. Uh, she's basically sitting there wrapped in a towel. She doesn't even bother to get dressed. And he walks in. She's just totally she's in a real, real state. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, "What's with these pictures?" And she's like, "You, there's something wrong with them." And he's like, "Well, why?" And she doesn't even want to look at him. They frighten her so bad. I mean, she was suicidal. She's like, I couldn't handle it. And what she does is she's like, see how the pictures are blurry? And he's like, well, so you were scared and you took a blurry picture. She goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> Everything else is focused except him. And then she starts adjusting the contrast and the color. And in the center of the picture, clear. what clarifies is this, uh, is you can see Jubal. In yeah. the same pose as the monster, but it's him clear, clear with all the nastiness taken off in the same pose, mouth open, screaming. She's like, that was him. Something happened to him. And if that can happen to you guys, it can happen to anybody. She realizes she is not tricked at all. You know, she doesn't no, have no, the imperial brainwashing. She's, she's seen straight through it. And she's, yeah, there's stuff out there that I don't really want to know about. And uh, it's affected her to the point where she's, like I said, she's pretty much, she was suicidal. I mean, and that's that's sad. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, you start to kind of yeah, because you you become to like her, and you're worried about kind of her well, as a reader. Then when he leaves, she pulls out the uh, the uh, Levisco Divinitatis. Yes, and then she starts reading uh, from it, and it's just I mean, it's it's. I'm looking at that, going, "Oh, that's really just." Uh, you know, fantastic. The emperor of mankind is the light and the way, and all his actions are for the benefit of mankind, which is his people. The emperor is God, and God is the emperor. So it is taught in the, lec- the lecti- electio, L-E-C-T-I-O, electio divinitatis, and above all yeah, things, the emperor will protect. I love that, the emperor will protect. I actually start, yeah. you know, that just, that's, I mean, it just, it, it works so well. Yeah, it's just a nice little soundbite. 
Yeah. And, um, I mean, she's just saying her prayer, and she's just completely snapped. And that's when uh, Sanguinius arrives. Yeah, I just before we move on, I mean, no. it, it hits me that almost at every point through this book, um, it's a human asking those questions that starts the ball rolling. Yeah. So we've got it's it is that um and that and that again that that just divides the humans from the space marines as the humans have that um imagination to go on which seems to be of drawn out of a lot of the space marines. Yeah, the human the human the human's ability to ask but what if? Exactly. Exactly. Um it just, like I said, it worked really well. Um, and then, like I said, uh, like I said, I jumped ahead, but Sanguinius shows up. He's there. Yeah. Um, now, one of the great things is, like I said, before there's that scene, Horus comes in, and they don't tell the commanders of the Imperial uh, fleet that Horus is showing up because yeah. he doesn't want all the... Pom- and that's the part where he shows up, and everybody bows except the commander. And the people look at him and go, bow, idiot. And yeah. and Horace walks up and he goes, "You're not going to bow before me." And he goes, "I forgot how." Like he's that <laughs> shocked. He goes, "I forgot how, sir." And Horace is like, "Well, that's okay. I like a man who's brave enough and confident enough in his command that he doesn't feel he needs to bow before me." And he laughs and he yeah. bows to the guy, which is just which is fantastic. Horace bowing to this just human commander. I and also think it shows it shows a Horace is making him feel comfortable. Yes, but also Horace is actually enjoying the fact that to this one guy for a split second he was just another person. Yeah, He's, he could he just couldn't fathom. I, I, it was, he was no. so overwhelmed he didn't he didn't fall to his knees and prostrate himself. He just didn't even know what to do. Horace seems to be kind of as we go through, kind of reaching out for those kind of people who aren't prepared to treat him as Horace, the war master, lord of all. Right. But actually just Horace. Right. Uh, it, was, it was just, it was great though that he was just like that yeah. shocked. But then you get into the group and they have screwed up. I mean, they go and, uh, and they, they, uh, <laughs> um, you know, he's, well, what went on here? And, you know, the uh, emperor's children showed up and he's been just sending down more Imperial Guard and units. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, so you've been trickle." And it's the Mornival who are yelling at him. You know, you're like an idiot. And <laughs> Abaddon's like, 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 we should we should shoot him. Yeah. And there's like, shoot him? And Horace's like, I don't think that's necessary. Because I've shot men for less. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's just like. And the guy's like, but wait, wait, wait. And Axiom's like, and then Torgadon just totally insults him. You know, you so you trickled yeah. through all your men, wasted everything. And then he says something about how the you're know, sending the emperor's children in, and he jumped in just as a glory hunt. And he's like, "I think you're offending me." And that's when Loki. He goes, "You know what?" He's like, "I don't think I like you very much." Like, you know, none of us like him very much, except when he tells the truth. Right yeah. now, I like him a whole lot. Yeah, you know, it was just like they were just slamming these guys. And Horace once again is able to play the peacekeeper. You knew Horace was pissed. In fact, he's eyeballing idle on the rest of the time, like glowering at him. He's not happy at all. But, but he gets to come across as the guy who's saving his ass. Exactly. And being nice to him and, and knowing all that, which, you know, as War Master is, is then his role, he's always got to be, to get the respect of everyone else, he's got to be the man. They've got to have some liking of him. Exactly. As well as the respect. Right. Um, 
and this is where they bring you know they bring Sanguinius the 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 bits that they found that were left. Yeah. Um, of the Marines and Sanguinius is like, you know, I know we should be magnanimous and we're supposed to be above, you know, we're out here conquering the galaxy for the good of mankind and not for the sake of war. But I want, I want, vengeance. I want vengeance. And that's the horse yeah. is like, brother, you and I will murder, murder, <laughs> yeah. murder this planet. And that shows their, their relationship back as in these space Marines aren't just their soldiers. They are their sons. Exactly. And, and and Sanguinius is so moved by these deaths that he's like, no, this I'm going to raise this planet. And and Horace is like, you know what? I'm right behind you. What I yeah. found interesting. Now, does Sanguinius really have wings? Yes. Like so, he he actually has wings because they describe the Big, wings bright wings, white white wings, like an angel's wings. So his armor is built around his wings. That's not a part of his armor. That's not an affectation. No, he, he has he wings. Has, um, he has a mutation. Okay, uh, which. <laughs> Although the Imperium doesn't suffer mutations, um, yeah, Sanguinis is uh, the most kind of... Magnus has got his thing going on. Russ has got the Space Wolf kind of canine teeth. Sanguinis has got the overtly mutated wings on his okay. back. Okay, I, just che- I would just check it. So they go down to murder, and it takes them six months. Now... Here's something that it's it this does actually start to bother me a little bit and not as far as the story goes but this is where you get two things you get the story that Horus tells about when the emperor first met him and was giving him the uh he's giving him the um what do you call it I'm trying to think what it is the uh ugh, he gives him the book of the stars and he's talking to him about what's oh, up right. with the stars yeah and uh, I'm looking for it right. I'm I'm looking for it somewhere. Well, give, they're, give they're one on, on Terra, and he was looking up to the stars. Right, into his star map. And uh, Sanguinius. Um, yeah, here we go. Sanguinius uh, is talking to him, and this is actually in part three. But I still want to bring this up before we move along, and then we'll take a break and cover part three. But uh, Horace talks about it and says how the emperor told him. You know, um, make no mistake, and we will conquer all of this. Um, and then Sanguinius is like, why don't you uh, tell them the rest? And Horace sits down. And this part to me was a little weird where Horace says, you know, remember what I told you about the emperor when he said to me about the stars? Make no mistake, and they will be ours. And he goes, that's what he said. Make no mistake. Those three words, I'm the war master, and by the emperor's decree, I cannot fail him. I cannot make mistakes. And that's where little horse is like, wait, what? And it's like I, he, he takes it very this role very seriously. The role is stressful for him, and I don't know if he misheard him because that and well, really changes the meaning of the word. Make no mistakes, and this will all be ours. I think I think if you look back at it, Horace, Horace was with the emperor longer than any other Primarch, um, uh, and Horace did a lot of growing up with the emperor. I mean, if you believe one version of it, he never left Terra. So um, all of them consider the, the emperor their father. But more than all the others, Horace has, has that relationship with him. And if you look into the real world, you know, and a, a dad's telling his kid kind of that kind of thing, with the right attitude, the kid takes their... Yeah, you take your father's words quite strongly... And quite literally. Right. And you try and live up to him. He's trying to live up to that kind of 
dad says, if I don't make a mistake, we're going to do this. And he means it. Right. And it might be, it might be a slight, you know, kind of him, his over emphasizing that, that line. Right. But he wants to live up to that ideal that he thinks his father has for him. Right. And like I said, I'm jumping ahead here because this happens after they finish on murder, which basically Horace fights them for six months and, uh, talk about making a mistake. He's pretty much ignoring the rest of the campaign at this point, uh, parts of it. He's down there. He's fighting on murder. Um, they finally pretty much get the planet under control. They've got everything except a few pockets of these mega arachnids wiped out. And suddenly other spaceships show up. And these other spaceships show up. And there was like all these little beacons and stuff around the planet making this weird rhythmic thing that sounded kind of like music, but they couldn't figure it out or translate it. Nobody was able to. Horace said he should be able to, but he couldn't even. And these people show up and they say, didn't you see our warnings? What did you do here? And that's how actually when they say, what have you done, is how that brotherhood in Spiderland ends. That's it. And then we get into part three, which we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back with the dreadful the dreadful Sagittary. And uh, really, we'll try to keep this one quick, folks, and wrap this up for you. Cool. Hey Grant, what you doing? Oh, not much. Just building some models and listening to Garage Hammer. Garage Hammer? I love that show. It's awesome. I know. Hello, and welcome back. <laughs> ah, the dreadful Sagittarius. Um, I said earlier in the show, I know, uh, Greg, I had said I had only one beef with the book, and that's this book is in three parts, and the first part's almost 200 pages, and the next part's like 180 pages. The dreadful, this last part of the book is like barely 60 pages. And to me, it, it felt a little bit rushed, not quite tacked on. I mean, I realize it's an extension of the second part, but to me, it I, I I was it just I I I didn't get that personally from the book. I think I, I think this third part is um is just the next stage of their journey. It almost seems to me like um this is kind of opportunity. Yeah, this third part where though that first part was definitely kind of space rings are amazing. Second part was. Uh, space wings can make mistakes and die. Uh, maybe everything's not brilliant. Third part was, you know, his uh, potential and opportunity to move on. It just it seemed to break up fairly well for me in that respect. I can understand why you might think it's a bit short, but I I didn't see it myself personally. Yeah, well, it was just okay. Um, now, first of all, Erebus from the Word Bearer shows up. And yep. lots of people are clamoring for Horace. They need attention. They're calling for reserves. They're calling for stuff. In fact, who was it? Um, someone called and wanted to prosecute a whole other thing against a bunch of these orcs. Oh, Alpharius. Alpharius <laughs> yes. like, is crazy if he thinks. He goes, I'd need ten times what we have 
to prosecute. Yeah. He's like, we can't do that right now. Um, oh, who else shows up? Are those uh, the people from the new the you know the the emperor has installed a uh, human adeptus ministratum? Yeah, the administratum, and they show up, and all they want is all of Horace's time because you got to start collecting taxes from these people. They got to start pulling their weight and paying their share. And Horace, yeah, this, this third part is very much kind of it's Horace's part, um, and and it starts by building up these pressures upon him, showing him that you know Warmaster kind of emphasizes the fact that he spent six months on murder was to fight because he he's got all these pressures on him at the moment and people clamoring for stuff and he's just being constantly badgered yeah he needed to get it get it out a bit and um so now he's off there and like they're like these people got to pay he's like we're gonna lose these planets he goes, we told them there's a new leader and they're accepting it. Now we go take 20 cents out of every dollar they make. They're not going to have, they're not going to be okay with this. We're going to, this is going to slow us down and ruin it. She's like, this comes from the emperor himself. And Horace actually says to the Mornival, I don't believe the emperor sent this rule at all. I think he put these people in charge and now they're making up rules in his name while he's too busy doing other things. So now there's questions about even the commands that are coming in, if this is really him. Yes. Um, and he kind of gets them just shoved aside. He, you know, get, just tie them up, get them some paperwork, do everything you can to slow them down. I need more time. Um, Erebus, like I said, showed up, and he had something he needed Horus to do. But Horus was so busy. He was since he's such a good politician and statesman, sort of, uh, you know, is where Erebus is strong. He just says, "Don't worry about what I need. I'll help you out. We could talk about what I need later." So yeah. you know, he's a word bearer, and I mean. You know, it, it, it comes across as very. I was like, oh, okay, he's putting his stuff aside and using his stuff to help Horace. And at this point, I'm like, okay, that you know. That, oh yeah, no, he's he's um, he's uh, amiable. He, he seems a very positive um, influence. He's also a very good fighter, though, because he's not just yeah. a politician. Because they go for training with the Mornival, and also who else is there? The Mornival's there. Uh, uh, Tarvitz is there, and Lucius is there. Yeah, and. Uh, Lucius and Erebus go and fight, and it's like they, it's an amazing. They said it was a huge battle, went just like sixteen minutes, and they were hitting blades were clanging three to four times a second. This fight was going so fast that they were actually all amazed at how it went. And Lucius uh, eventually wins that one. And then it's great next because they're all like, "Okay, Loken, you're next." And Loken's like, "I'm not fighting him." <laughs> And they're like, you go in there and fight. He's like, dude, no, I'm sorry. I don't have a chance against someone like him. And he's like, they get mad at him, actually. The rest of the Mornival's like, don't act like a wuss. Get in there and go fight for our honor. And yeah. um, that's a great scene. You remember what happened, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Go yeah. ahead and describe um, that one. <laughs> Lucius going in um, with his playing with Loken, really, knowing that he's better than him and showing off and, and everything else. And Loken's just trying to hang in this fight. And, and and um I mean he's he warned he warned Lucius before about, you know, don't expect your your enemies to play by the rules all the time. Um and so when the opportunity arrives Loken knows he's gonna get hammered, he, he steps in with a low blow. Or what's considered a low blow in the kind of honourable circles of sword fighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just just uses yeah, you know, he doesn't use his weapon and Lucius wasn't expecting he was put right on his rear end. Yeah, Lucius comes at him with a sword, boom, knock the sword away, punch him in the face, and he tells him, he goes, yeah. I studied you, I knew what you were gonna do and that you wanna know what a Luna Wolf does? We do what we gotta do to win. I knew Absolutely, I couldn't yeah. beat you with the sword, so I punched you in the face. 
Yeah, it might not be perfect, but it works. Yeah, uh, Lucius does not. Li- he spit in blood, and they said it was incoherent what he was screaming. He was yeah. not. No, he did not take a loss well at all. Once again, you know, just that that possible possible for foretelling. Yeah, that's who he is. He's not going to take well to that. No. Um, but so then they meet these Interrex, who are these this race that came from humanity. Um, obviously came from humanity. They are living out there. They've got a bunch of planets. They've spread. They're prosperous. They've mingled with an alien race. They don't seem to have... They're not mating with them, but they are interacting with them. They have some alien technology. They're involved in their society. Yeah. The Kinebrak. Yeah, the Kinebrak. And um, basically, Horus is trying to see if we can come to bring them into the fold eventually. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, he goes there originally. It's just another another race to another uh, aspect of humanity to bring into the fold, um, just like he's done time and time again with other other civilizations. But it, this, part of this comes after that discussion he had, where Sanguinius tells him to tell him, he says, "I can't make any mistakes. I've already made two. He said, "I made a yeah. mistake on sixty three nineteen, and they're like, "You didn't make any mistakes." He goes, "We lost a lot of lives and a lot of blood down there." And poor Sejanus is dead now because I didn't negotiate properly. He blames himself for Sejanus' death and that entire battle, the whole first part of the book, he thinks went badly that they should have been able to be brought into the fold. But they killed Sejanus and we said, well, that's it. We're going to – and they sent a second unit saying maybe there was a mistake. They killed them too and that was it. We went in and wiped them out. He feels bad for that. He feels a problem with murder. He actually says, you know, these people – aren't that different from us. He goes, they fought this alien race of spider people. They took away all of their ability to for star travel. They took away all of their ability to leave this planet, basically prisoned them on this planet. But they said, you know, it's not our point. It's not our place to exterminate a, another species. And he's like, you know, why can't we do something like that? And there's an actual shouting match between him and Abaddon. You know, you yeah. have to wipe them out. I don't have to do anything. Listen, no. the emperor said if they've they're obviously gone far enough off of the base of human, and they're not interested in joining us. And Horace throws him out and actually tells Torgaddon, you may want to go talk to him and have him in about two or three hours when I've calmed down. <laughs> he can come back in here and beg my forgiveness, and he better do it on his knee and not talk louder than a whisper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's good. I mean, it was kind of surprising that any of them would actually yell at him. I was shocked. I really was yeah, as I was reading that. It, it shows um, part of the bad as well, but it's it, it, Horace felt comfortable with his mournival to do that, but also a bad has the goal to shout back at his Primarch, even even with permission, as, it, as as much permission as he can have, he's still got the ability to shout back where the others probably wouldn't. Yeah, well, yeah, um, he's yeah, he's a bit more angry than most of yeah. the other three anyway. But yeah, the the the, the, the talks with the Interrex take a long time, and um, you know, Sanguinius eventually leaves to go, you know, prosecute his campaigns that he was on and um, actually to go and take care of a few things for Horus yes. so, to, to ease up on this so yeah. that Horus can go down Erebus keeps kind of pushing you should keep talking to them you should keep talking to them yeah and and, and it, it, it takes a while but all through that while it's taking we see um, the Interrex have got you know they've got a, 
a system of planets. They live in harmonious, uh, in harmony with uh, alien races, which, although not being right, Horace starts to see is that such a bad thing? No, there's no war here, as you said with the with the um, on on murder um, with the, the the spider things, as they call them. Um, yeah, they, uh, they they don't necessarily have to kill them. Um, and we kind of get the feeling that Horace is starting to think, actually, does is the Emperor's way, is the old way of doing things the right way? Or can we learn something from this civilization? Right. Um, and it, and it, go ahead. It even goes on to actually kind of saying, you know, my father set these rules up 200 years ago when we first left Terra, when we were a small planet in the middle of nowhere, a small solar system, um, and everyone was against us. Um, do we have to kind of carry on in the same way? Have things changed? Yeah. And, and, and at this point, I was like, I remember listening, when I was listening back to it the first time, I was kind of stirring inside. It was like, yeah, you know, you've got hope. There's a hope here for a real peaceful kind of, this is the end goal. Right. We don't have to be constantly at war. We can make peace with these people and live here with them. It was, yeah, I, I kind of got the same feeling. Um, okay. They, they, when these people speak, they have these people who walk around behind them and play me, this music, which is what yeah. those machines were around the planet, those music things. Yeah. And, uh, that struck me as really weird. Like, the, their, in fact, their speech was a little, they had the, the, the difficulties in language that the differences between the two, somehow this music, you just psychically somehow, helps to smooth that roughness over and make it more easy to understand. Yeah, I think it's um it's a it's a nice way to show that these beings that are pretty much human aren't quite human anymore. Right. But al- also allows for some kind of miscommunication. And the the when the alien race brought them they brought them something nice, something that that helped, not just was a, a trouble. Yeah. Um, but so they, they bring them to this planet where they can continue these negotiations. And it's basically their negotiate. They have a negotiations planet, basically. They have a main Zenobia. city. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they stay in the, in the where, where visitors stay. And so Horace goes to this this dinner and uh, Horace goes without any of his armor or anything. Because um, when they first met them, they showed up and they meet the Iterex. And after all these negotiations of meeting them, they show up and they show up with all the Marines and the full plate armor and stuff. And these guys show up with uh, a much less martial force. And they're even shocked by his title. I'm the war, the war master. The war master. Yeah. Like, really? You have a title of the guy who makes war? You're, you know, you're in charge. So they, they're really sort of standoffish on them. So Horace wants to make a different impression. He comes down there with the artists and the philosophers and without his armor and a much smaller contingent of space marines. Um, and then when they show up, the uh, <laughs> the Interacts show up with actually more, more, more uh, military. Yeah. So they've actually gone the opposite way that show that they're not as weak. Um, some interesting stuff. They take him to the Hall of Weapons. Which uh, the guys are like, look at this. They're trying to show us how much better they are than us. That we don't even, you know, we have our weapons are in a museum. But they also call it the armory. You know, it's like we they, we could use this stuff as well. Yeah, it's a it's a warning. Yeah, but so they're they're sort of warning them, showing that they're not as wimpy as they might have first looked. 
and you're, you know, it, it's very They're confusing. They're on edge. Yeah, everyone's yeah. sort of on edge. This, this, the, 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 it, you know, Horace says that this is the night he's going to try to talk to them about bringing them into the Imperium because they've been very standoffish about any treaties. They can't figure out why they're they're so standoffish. And this is where uh, Loken's on guard duty, and he meets one of the other soldiers, and he finds one of these books, and it's a book about demons and stuff. And um, the guy is amazed because Loken doesn't know about chaos. No. Is, is yeah, is, is amazed at his innocence. Yeah, you guys um, are so, and he laughs. He's like, I appreciate you not laughing at me. And he's like, he's explaining to him. Logan's like, I don't get it. I don't know what you're saying because he's like chaos. And he's like, well, you, what do you mean you don't know what it is? You travel through the warp, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, then how do you not know what chaos is? He's like, please, let's not be amazed at how stupid I am. Let's explain it. Yeah. And the guy's we, actually we, excited. Yeah, the yeah, the guy the um. We we get a basic kind of we get an understanding that the interacts have been taught about the um, the insidious nature of chaos by the Eldar. So that's yes, that's know, right. The Eldar taught them what chaos yeah. is. Yeah, and that's that's a, yeah, that's a byproduct of their peaceful nature. And the Eldar felt they could were in contact with them and and, and all that. And and during this chat, the guy yeah becomes excited with the fact that he realizes that. Um, yeah, he tells me we were standing off because we were worried. We th- I mean, you showed up as a war nation saying you were from Earth. We don't know that you're from Earth and, no. or from Terra, and you showed up. As, yeah, they, they say we we don't know you're clean, basically. Right, um, and yet now, now I realize you're just ignorant. Yeah, you're not. Is, yeah, you're, yeah, you, you, then you, but you, you're also you're obviously clean. You don't even know what we're talking about. No. And he's actually going to rush to go tell the guy in charge, listen, this is great. We're Actually, this is good. And then the alarms start to go off. Yeah, Loken, Loken and him are running off in, in you know, rapturous kind of joy of this is it. We've broken it. This is peace. And then all of a sudden, alarms go off. You know, the guy's earpiece goes and he, he stops. Loken for his weapon. Loken's like, hell no, I do not give up my weapon. And they start to fight. Um, yeah, which is really cool. And he says, you had us fooled. You almost had me there, you seducer, you evil seducer. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah. And somebody broke into the Hall of Weapons and stole some weapons and lit it on fire and killed people. And so Loken is basically desperately trying to get back to Horus. Yeah, it was it was it was it was heartbreaking that bit. It was like it, it was, was. They were so close. They were so close. They were minutes away from creating a peace. Yeah, they were um, that close, and and they really have no idea what's going on. Loken doesn't know. I mean, Loken actually hurt the guy he was talking to that he liked because he's like, I got to get past you. And the other guys come in and look at him, and he's like, Listen, I don't want that guy to die. So if yeah. you don't want him to die either, I suggest you walk over there and take care of him, and now worry about me. And they go to take care of him, turn around, and he's gone. He's looking for Horus. And uh, it turns out the weird centaur people, which were actually guys mounted on mechanical half horses. With their little centaur bows, which they, which Abaddon was certain were for show, turn out, yeah, they're not ceremonial. They're puncturing through right through the the Space Marine armor and killing them. Um, and suddenly they see that they really underestimated these guys. That they are, they can be quite brutal in war. Yeah, and they, um, yeah. So we end up with a, a fighting retreat as they they demand to get Horus. Uh, off the planet into safety while Horace is, is kind of screaming in, in anguish about this, this failed opportunity for, 
for no reason because no reason that he knows about. Again, he's ignorant of anything happening. Well, and he insists on going to the Hall of of Weapons. He's like, I, yeah, I want to see what happens. They're like, we need to leave. He's like, no, no, I I want, I rule you. We're going. So they go, and the the guy there, who's one of those the the players, the guy who plays the little the meturge yeah. player, is like, you guys are rotten and you're evil, and he's laughing that they're so terrible. And, uh, you know, you guys tried to kill us. And Howard's like, we didn't do anything. Uh, and there's a great part where they're like, enemy warriors are gathering on the approach steps. And he, enemy, Horace left. When did they become the enemy? They're men like us. Yeah. And this, this part is great. This part broke my heart. He glared up at the night sky, threw back his head, and screamed a curse at the stars. Then his voice fell to a whisper. Loken was close enough to hear his words. Why have you tasked me with this, father? Why have you forsaken me? Why? It is too hard. It is too much. Why did you leave me to do this on my own? And that, it's just like, oh, that, he just, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. No. And, and, he, and he kind of snaps, doesn't he? It, it, yeah. This is the point where he's just like, I can't handle this. And they're like, that's it, Horace, we have to go now. And they basically... <laughs> these guys are surrounding us and we need to get out of here. And that's when he gets shot with an arrow through the arm. Yeah. And he gets a little angry. Oh, he gets very angry. He pulls I'm... out the arrow <laughs> without flinching, it says. And then and what were you going to say? No, you, you carry on. No, it's just okay. he pulls out the arrow without yeah. flinching. And that's when he says, um, that's when he yells at, he yells at the soldiers. He actually yells at the enemy soldiers. Hold, Horace bellowed at the enemy soldiers. In the name of the emperor of mankind, I demand to speak to Nod. Fetch him now. And they shot at him. And then he pulls the arrow out. Uh, he walked over to a fallen Astartes, bent down, and gathered up the man's bolter and sword. Their mistake, he said to Loken and Torgadon. Their damn mistake, not ours. If they're going to fear us, let's give them a good reason. And then for the emperor, he yelled in Chthonic, illuminate them. And they went in. He went no armor. No, don't need it. Just went in their clean house. Yeah, and wiped them, uh, wiped out all of these guys who he was fighting against. And just was, you know, it, they were surrounded. They were in trouble. Uh, they didn't have their the drop ships ready to come and pick them up and take them out. And he's like, that's it. I've had enough, and he just starts killing. He goes back to warrior mode. And yeah, kills. it seems to be the um, the kind of reaction that the Marines dropped into the reaction immediately. Um, Horace was trying to salvage the situation, but their reaction is um, something's gone wrong. They're coming at us. That makes them the enemy. That makes them wrong, <laughs> and and that makes them corru you know, either corrupted or, mist or mistaken. But we're right. We haven't done anything wrong. That's right. how automatic stance is is just kind of switches into that mode. Yeah, and then you basically get the wrap up after that, which basically says, uh, you know, they fought till the end of the day, and uh, basically they were down there by themselves. And when, as soon as that thing happened, they they dampened all their communications. Like none of their Vox channels worked. All that stuff was cut off. And uh, Abaddon and Little Horus were up. You know, on the ship still, and as soon as everything got cut off, they said, "That's it. Two companies down there now." And uh, so they fought till dawn until the company showed up, and Horus just killed everything in the city. Yeah, and um, 
actually at the end, Mercedes Olet again is talking to um, Loken, and you find out that it was this thing called an anathema that they said was stolen, which is living metal, and yep. uh, basically once you give it a target, it becomes that target's like you know hated enemy. Like it actually will seek out, will seek out and hate and try to kill this person and someone stole it and they're like we didn't steal it and they're like i don't know what happened but we didn't steal it um you know and that's basically all that they knew um and then what else uh and loken actually says we tried to bond with them and it was a brave thing and a noble thing to attempt war would have been easier (laughs) but it failed um and that's you know sort of a, a tragedy, but it's not their fault. You know, Horus is the war master. Uh, I've never questioned seeing him there, seeing what he was trying to do. I've never felt so sure the emperor made the right choice. You know, because yeah. Horus is trying. Horus isn't going in bullheaded. He's really trying to do the right thing. And but when when it becomes obvious that there are no other alternatives, you know, the other side of him can come out. Uh, and then there's one little paragraph basically uh, Erebus stole the anathema which I'm sitting there going what the hell is this all about because I you know I don't know any more of the story than this obviously but he's down in the basement and he stole the the weapon that will kill an intended target um, and ruined the piece of and ruined all this piece in order to steal it so there's something Corru- something I mean, not right going on there. Yeah, there's something obviously corrupt and evil, and I, you know, you can only imagine. Obviously, this is the Horus Heresy. Something's going to go bad eventually. Um, and then you get this little bit, which I didn't. You know, once again, as someone who didn't know anything, you know, what are we going to do? And he says we're due to rendezvous with the 203rd Fleet, but uh, Erebus has asked the War Master to set, settle a minor dispute and intercede for him. So now you're like. Uh oh, so Erebus, who was doing all those favors for Horus, now says, "Yeah, I got, could you do this one thing for me? We got a little trouble. Uh, we'll be there and gone in maybe a week, and a little moon in the Davin system, and that's how the book ends. Um, so you know we're going there, and we know Erebus, who has purposely screwed everything up in order to steal this weapon." Um, is asking yeah. Horus to take to, to make a special pit stop for him. So, so we, yeah, what was worth the cut that cost? Yeah, so leaves it right on the leaves you right on that cliffhanger. Which I just put it down and picked up the next novel because I didn't start reading this until there was at least sixteen or seventeen books out. So, <laughs> in fact, I started reading it just I think right right after because everyone's saying how Prospero Burns. I remember reading that had just came out and everybody was raving about Prospero Burns. So that's that's actually when I started reading this series, I think. All right, excellent. But uh, that's that's that. Um, <laughs> so much going on in this book. I mean, I'm sorry the show took two hours when we initially planned for one. I'm hoping that we're able to keep them a little bit more concise in the future. But, I mean, there's a lot of layers here. I mean, not just oh, going yeah, through the story, but like you pointed out, the, the truth theme running through it the other stuff go ahead what were you going to say yeah it's, it's just something that we, we you know as we go through the series and obviously the first book is say there's a lot going on so it'd be a bit longer but um hopefully in the next book you know will be some of that grounds already covered so 
Yeah. We we should be um we should be reducing time. I don't think we have to introduce any more characters at least. I think there's very few new characters to introduce, so but the stage is definitely set. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm actually looking forward to rereading the second book. I got so much more out of the first book after reading it a second time. I am really looking forward to the next book. So, um, what, four to six weeks, I guess. We'll have a more concrete set of dates set up for you, um, you know, once we get this set more on the schedule. But uh, for now... Uh, you know, once again, we want to thank you for listening. Yep. Our next book, obviously, is False Gods. That's book two. And uh, if you want to reach us, you can reach us at david at garagehammer.net. And you can reach Greg. At, you're at uh, Greg at garagehammer.net. Greg at garagehammer.net, yeah. Um, also on Twitter at Child of Fang. <laughs> Child of Fang. And the, um, the show also has a Twitter account. If you want to follow that, um will be yeah that'll post up when episodes are coming out and a few other little bits of information and things and like that as well yeah after, after Ulanor. yeah and you can also uh, you could follow me on at garage hammer um and once again please uh you could find us um we have the garage hammer facebook page where we'll also be posting up when new after Ulanor stuff comes on so please come and you can join uh, uh, join our Facebook group, uh, Garage Hammer, which, like I said, after Illinois is all a part of that same, uh, you know, sort of umbrella. And um, please come and join us on the forums. There's a whole section on the Garage Hammer forums just for this. Please, please let us know what you thought of it. Uh, you can leave us an iTunes review if you want for After Illinois. You can uh, send us an email. You can talk to us on the forums, but. We really want to know what you thought of this, what you liked, what you didn't, um, so that as we get through the next few dozen books, um, yeah. yeah, we can keep this a little sharp and focused to make sure we're bringing everybody what they like. So, uh, until next episode, it's, it's more than welcome. Yeah, yeah, all of that stuff. Um, um, and fingers crossed, we might have a surprise for next episode as well. With uh, if we can work out dates and things. Yeah. That's something to look forward to. Yeah, some some good stuff coming up next episode. So, uh, folks, uh, enjoy, and we will see you. And once again, thanks to Og Games. Uh, yep, get that in at the end. Yep. Um, we'll, we'll have all the details in along with the show notes and, and all the links for those. Excellent. All right, Greg, well, I'll see you in a few. Yeah, Emperor Protects. Yeah, Emperor Protects. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get that in for you. 